0: Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks.
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm here today with Jonathan Benson. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Can you tell the audience, listeners, uh, a little bit about, sort sort of summary, who you are, what you do?
2: Yeah, so my name's Jonathan Benson. Uh, I am—I like to call myself a professional test driver because it sounds way more fancy than saying YouTuber and tire like tester. Uh, <laughs> but I'm essentially uh, a test driver that specialises in tire testing, uh, and I have a YouTube outlet to help educate people on tires—a YouTube outlet and a website. We uh, started with the website, and uh, yeah, I just—I'm I'm a tire geek. I genuinely nice. love tires. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: th- this is good because uh, the reason I wanted to get you on was. I've spoken to loads of people about tires and whatnot in different time and I, everyone has their own perceptions. And for me, I think I also have this, like the marketing has, has played a lot in my brain. And so I'd like to mm-hmm. unpick a lot of that, like in, in the next whatever hour or so, um, about what is marketing and what is actually real s- substance, but how, okay, how, let's wind back. How did you get into tire testing, uh, cars, et cetera?
2: Um, so I I, I've always been a petrol head uh I like some of my earliest memories of my dad's cars he he always liked his cars he worked for British Aerospace who owned MG Rover for a while so he had lots of like Rover like the 820 Vitesse Turbo and things like that and then at points he had lease cars or higher cars he had an XR4 I Cosworth for a while so I had a very Mm. good introduction to sort of the old school classics when I was younger yeah and then it kind of evolved from there. I did a bit of karting when I was younger, played a lot of Gran Turismo, which is where I felt like I learned to drive. Um, I've just been playing the then, new one. Oh, I haven't actually got it yet. I can't find a PS5 in the US, sadly. Um, and then when I was uh, 21, I got a brand new MG ZR. It was like my first proper new mm. car. Um, beautiful little handling car. It was Obviously, it's a Rover 25 with a body kit and some suspension tweaks. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was all part of this. cool back then. Oh yeah it was the Trophy Blue with the big big 17-inch wheels like who would have thought nice. like back then 17-inch wheels were huge and now it's like <laughs> yeah. that's what you get on your your shopping car your, your basic shopping car yeah. um but it was all part of this British Aerospace owning MG Rover they it was on a maintenance agreement so it was an amazing deal considering it was my first proper car I was paying like 320 a month for the car and insurance and maintenance and everything it was one off payment oh, wow. so back then this was early 2000s like incredible um and i it came with a set of michelin pilot sports the original michelin pilot sports and obviously being a young idiot i burnt through them in three and a half thousand miles i burnt through the front tires in like three and a half thousand miles Doing burnouts or the best it could. It was the 1.4, so 105. Would it do span. a good
0: one-wheel peel or did it have uh, a bit of a diff in it? Uh,
2: it didn't have a diff on it. It would definitely do a one-wheel peel. It, it I couldn't quite tripod it. I don't think it was it was that uh flexible. Yeah, yeah. Um but anyway, so I took it in for a tire replacement, and the agreement with the maintenance company was it was like for like tires. So yeah. I expected some Michelin pilot sports to be put on the front axle and thought nothing of it. Picked up the car, went for a drive, and I was like, this feels completely different. Like, the turn-in right. had got a bit more spongy. Like, the steering had just lost some of its, like, feedback. Because, obviously, back then, all cars had hydraulic steering racks, and you could actually feel what was going on. And I got out and looked at the front tires, and they were Michelin, but they were the Pilot Exalto PE2s, which is... Which then became, confusingly, that tire line then became the Pilot Sport non-S line. Um, okay. We can go over that later. Michelin's naming convention is famously wonderful. Um, <laughs> so I was like, why Why do these, they're both Michelin tires. They're both, I spoke to the guys and they're like, they're both sports tires. Um, yeah. Why do they feel so different? And I went online and there was no, there was no good information online at that point. No, I don't no. even think people were doing tire tests in the UK at that point. Maybe Auto Express. Uh, and at the time I trained to be a web developer. So I was developing websites. So I was actually running an e-commerce business and I'd moved up into sort of mid management quite early on and I was missing developing. So I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I miss developing. I've got no social life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a website about tires because I find this fascinating. And then hopefully, yeah. cause I'd had some experience with online marketing, hopefully after some time, some traction, no pun intended. Um, I'll be able to get some like free sets of tires in the future. And then like tires are expensive things. i I want to be doing lots of track days and then hopefully people will send me tires. And then as things grew and I realized there was a, this was back in 2006, I eventually started the website. So I'd, I'd had a yeah. few cars since then. And I would had this idea back in like 03 and dragged my heels on it for a long time. Um, and then I developed the website, marketed the website and it just sort of snowballed with lots of. Lots of work outside of work. I was lucky enough to be able to leave work uh, 2013, 2014 to sort of concentrate on it full-time. Mm. I started a website that was selling tires, so I was sort of self-marketing. Uh, okay, but then I realized yeah. there's absolutely no money selling tires online. <laughs> um, uh, but by that point, there was so much traffic going through the website, um, so probably three million page views a month. And that's that's people like fully engaged Something, in the tire market. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, So I could I could start selling advertising to the tire manufacturers that like gave me enough money to do tire testing full time. Yeah. So that's basically where we would got to, and then YouTube. Uh, I'd never my dream was never to be a YouTuber. There was nothing being on camera like i like it's the for me it's the worst part of the job like i get really jealous yeah. of the the magazine testers who get to turn up at a test site uh yes. do their testing and then just go away and think about the data for months and not have to worry about filming it and then just write it up so I, being on camera isn't my thing but yeah. at some point if you're if you're trying to create this like image of yourself that says you are the tire person like you are Mm. the reference for tires you've got to you've got to be a face um so i did start youtube probably properly like three or four years ago although there is some like really old stuff on the channel and that annoyingly but unexpectedly really launched like just the image of me i guess the image of tire reviews and me and that's when like the tire companies really started like fully engaging um And that's how I'm in this position now that I'm fortunate enough to have the respect of the tire industry in Europe and North America. Yeah, they Tire testing is, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but tire testing is incredibly complicated and you can only do it at very specialist facilities. And these tire manufacturers allow you, like allow independent testers like myself, like Auto Express, like Evo, like a lot of German magazines to use their facility because they trust you to make a good test and uh, do it independently.
0: And they let's say Michelin invites you down and says you can use our facility. Is that like, you can use our facility whenever you like or you can come down on this day and we'll chuck you some tires, you can bring some other tires. How does that work?
2: So it's, honestly, it depends what the idea is. So let's take, for example, the Pilot Sport 5. It's just come out. (laughs) What I'm about to say isn't strictly true because I'm doing it in a different way but michelin have the pilot sport five they know it's a very good tire because they'll have done independent like not independent they'll have done internal testing against all the the rivals on the market so they they know roughly where the tyre benchmarks they know it's either best or in the top two or three in pretty much every test so michelin will either come to me or i'll go to michelin i'll be like hey michelin look you've got this new tire out there's loads of interest like people want me to test it can we organize a test? Like I I I'm gonna run the test myself, obviously independently. I'm gonna invite your competitors. I'm not gonna tell you who. I'm just gonna invite them and I'll either buy the tires or ship the tires, get the tires shipped directly to you. And then I'm gonna come and we're gonna run like a full barrage of testing. So it's not quite as simple due to how busy these facilities are. It's not quite as simple as I'll just turn up in France and be like, hey, I want to do a test. It does take weeks, <laughs> yeah. if not months, of organization and getting a slot okay. and then like for each so we're doing 10 sets of tires so i'm i'm going to goodyear in a couple of weeks to do a 10 set tire test that's 100 tires we're using because we've got two sets we have one for dry a set for dry a set for wet we have a spare and then one for rolling resistance and then we're doing noise testing like there's there's a certain sequence you have to do as well like you do the low wear stuff first like the noise and aquaplaning. then you go on to the the high do high grip stuff so you don't You don't wear out a a tyre doing one thing and then try and use it for something else. Like there's, it's it's a complicated process.
0: That that, is that one of the hardest parts of the whole thing? Like the logistics of putting that stuff together?
2: It it certainly can be, especially for the winter tests because I'm midway. I'm actually going to Michelin tomorrow um, to finish an all season and winter test I'm doing with them. Um, So we've had, I think we had, 10 sets of winter 10 sets of all season seven sets of worn tires uh and then a couple of reference so we had like a summer reference and a winter reference no maybe not for that test but then we're starting the test so i started that test in january up in Ivalo in the arctic circle so we've got to get all the tires there but the tires have to be prepared in advance so we don't test fresh tires so we run the tires in so they went off to decra and then each all all got it must have 100 200, about 220 tires had 500 kilometers driven on them on the real world. Then they get shipped up to Evolo, which is inside the Arctic Circle. We then spend a week and a half testing them there. They then get packaged up and then sent back down to Clermont, which is the center of France. And then I'm flying back to France to, to finish up the test. So logistics are incredibly difficult. It's not something I handle entirely on my room. Obviously, the tire yeah. companies that are supporting uh, do a great job in helping. But yeah, it's there's a lot
0: to it, that's for sure. <laughs> So when you've got that you're sending some tyres and you're like they need to have 500 miles on them do, mm. let's say you know, we just mentioned Michelin or Continental or yeah. whatever do they organise
2: that or do you it depends it, it, that? it that depends work? on how say each tyre manufacturer has different a different method that they believe is the best mm-hmm. obviously for running in the tyres um, yeah. so sometimes excuse me uh, sometimes the, the Michelin example is is an extreme example like usually uh, a bedding process will be like if if the if they haven't been bedded in advance sometimes i'll just do it and then it'll be like okay i'll go do a couple of laps of wet handling to just take the surface yeah. off um the, the 500 kilometers is a a very extreme example but i thought i'd run with it this time just to see if it if it changed anything because it's it's it does make there's there's a there's a there's many arguments because sometimes manufacturers don't run the tires in at all. And I'm not with that because I don't feel like that's realistic to the road because you're only ever driving on a a brand new set of tires once. And that's for the first like two miles. So like, why would you test them in that state? Um, So then we, we always do some basic running in, but the whole 500 kilometer thing, I think it's great in theory. uh, But if it doesn't make a huge amount of difference, you can save an awful lot of cost, not running that many tires yeah. for that long because it's a uh, yeah that's a very expensive process as is like full wear testing which okay. we can get to in a bit
0: let's talk into that that particular process the like bedding in of a new tire like mm-hmm. a race tire you gradually warm it up blah blah, yes. blah 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 blah, put it away
2: and then it's ready to go yeah let's set overnight kind of thing it obviously yeah. also depends With- who you listen to because you don't see many of the F1 tires okay, being yeah, true. like bedded in um what type of tire you're running but yeah that that's the general consensus for like a track day slick Sick. or a, anything like that you're going to be using aggressively uh give it a gradual warm up heat cycle and then let it like cool properly and that changes
0: the structure a little bit and it's kind of ready to go
2: yes in theory in theory i've yeah. not done so with a road i've not done any testing to confirm or deny that yet so <laughs> okay but that—that's yeah. the generally accepted.
0: That's what people tell me to do, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, with a road tire, though, I've never even remotely thought about it. Just like got in the car, driven it, job done. Now, is there yes. a, what's the? Is there a recommended thing you should do with your road tires
2: to make yeah. them last longer? No, not to make them last longer. I think there's a lot of or performance. No, there's. No, not officially, no. And I, I don't know anything that's proven otherwise. A lot of people will tell you, be careful for the first 50, 100, 150 miles. They'll talk about mold release. Um, a lot of tire manufacturers don't actually use mold release anymore, but there is some truth to the first X amount of miles could be slippy, especially in the wet, because as tires sit, obviously they, they're cured. They're cured in a, an oven. Once they come out, they sit. And then the a lot of the oils that are in a part of the compound, mm. a lot of them can like sort of escape to the surface of the tires you end up with if your tires likewise if you have a tire in the garage for two years and you put it in your car you'll just have a slightly slick surface so you do you should be careful for the first sort of 20 30 miles but i've heard people say like drive your tires carefully for the first 500 miles i'm like i i I don't know any anything that's concrete evidence to say that will that will extend the life of your tires or improve the performance i just there's no data there that rumor mill that
0: I've heard, and it's like if you get a new car now, yes, most engines are running a dyno anyway; they're they're ready to go, um, pretty much. Yeah. But like, if you, I've had engine work done on my race car. You get in the car, you warm it up properly, yeah, work it through the revs, and then you're off. Like, fine Look. tires, scrub them a bit, and a bit, yeah. and you're off. Whereas a
2: road car. Well, you still see, is it, did I see Lotus the other day recommending for the first thousand miles, no more than 3000 RPM. And that yeah. I, I'm sure that used to be a thing when manufacturing tolerances weren't quite as exact as they are now, but in my <laughs> head, different manufacturers, yeah, yeah, true. We are Lotus, <laughs> uh, but it is a Toyota engine, <laughs> isn't it? So, um, yeah, in my head and the way I've always run in new cars is if it hasn't blown up in the first 20 miles. Go and thrash it, and like really see everything. Like get just get everything really hot. Yeah, treat it really badly. Apart from putting like like low RPM, high load. So if you're going uphill in fifth gear at 2,000 yeah. RPM, that's that's bad. But just from go give coal, it a good thrashing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go give it a good thrashing once this, it's warm. Some cars, I
0: feel like my M2 was like this. They, I feel like there's different fluids in it to start with like there's like slightly different oil and the oil oh, gets the first
2: thousand miles, the, the
0: rumor in the first thousand miles, it picks up like lots of bits of kind of metal dust or whatever.
2: Is I don't it? know. Well, like, you've this got is all what filters. they filters. Like, this is what all filters yeah, are like for. All this stuff. And, and I'd be really worried if there was lots of metal dust being built up in a brand new BMW engine. Cause that sounds like the engine yeah. hasn't been built properly. I like, I'm, I'm not an engine expert. I'm not a tire expert to be honest, but I know more about tires than I do about <laughs> engines. Um, and, I, yeah, I've always had really good results just killing them from cold. Uh, no, sorry, no, no, yeah. killing I mean, them from you, not cold. Like, letting them warm up, first drive, make sure it doesn't blow up, and then just give it a real good time.
0: Yeah. Like, it's designed to rev it out. If you don't rev it at all for, like, thousands of miles, like, surely, like, people are like, oh, yeah, it needs to loosen up. Like, well, I bought, uh, that involves revving it.
2: My dad had a Skoda Octavia VRS, which is the EA AAA mm. engine in the Golf GTI and everything. So it's a great turbo, two liter turbocharged engine, and he had it from you, and he he ran it in for twelve hundred miles, and then for, like he always drove for economy, so he was he probably never span up the turbo. He was always at one to two thousand yeah. RPM and pootling along. And I bought it from him, and it's now got the weirdest like flat spot between sort of three and a half and four and a half thousand RPM where it just. I need to get it looked at, but uh, it's. It's like, I'm sure if you just thrash it, Italian tune-up, isn't it? If you just give it yeah. some, like at least once a month when the engine's hot, your engine's going to work better. The Re- rev limit yeah. is it. I took someone on a track day once and I was teaching them to drive. And he was, every, at every braking point, I was like, brake, come on, harder, harder. Why aren't you braking hard? He's like, I don't want to damage the brakes. Like, what do you mean damage the brakes? It was a <laughs> it was 911, 911 GTS, and 997. It's like, dude, these brakes are designed to stop a car. You don't have to like... Gently press them. Just smack them. Anyway, yeah. Or yeah. don't come on a track day. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was a frustrating. I don't like doing the the passenger seat tuition at the best of times, no. so that was particularly frustrating.
0: And that I would, Matt, I'm not this person, possibly not, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone that has that slight mindset might do a couple of laps, just like using the brakes a little bit. Brakes probably warm up, mm. and then would just from like warm just straight in the pits. Turn the engine off. Handbrake on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... That is how you fuck your brakes. (laughs) Yes. We're, We're lucky to have some good knowledge and experience with cars, that's for sure. But I tell you what, speaking of treating cars badly on track, test cars. Like, wow. Like, whenever I've had my own car that I use for track work... It gets treated like an absolute princess. Like three warm-up yeah. laps, three warm down laps. It's like everything I do, I'm scared of breaking it. We'll get like I'll do a tyre test. Like if I'm doing 15 sets of tires in a day on dry handling, it's literally pull into a garage, you've got one or two people changing your wheels for you. So wheels off, wheels on. You drive out the garage, do four laps of like max handling, three or four, depending on like your times. Half a warm down lap if you're feeling kind, straight in the garage, engine off. Handbrake or whatever, and like you're just doing that on rotation all day. Stop yeah. engine off, start run. And these cars, we use a lot of VW Golfs for testing. Uh, yeah. Everything from like the the one liter triple or the 1.4 TSI up to the GTIs, and they just they work and they generally last pretty well. You can like I've a test ago, I was using a sixty seven thousand kilometer Mark Seven GTI that all the miles have basically been test miles, and it was just starting. <laughs> It was just starting to like grumble. Like it, when it was getting yeah. really hot, and this was in the south of France. So we were testing at nearly 40 degrees. You could feel it was starting to pull the power on some of the like the hard acceleration pulls. But it, we, yeah, the, you'd be surprised. That is impressive. Yeah, yeah, very. But you'd be surprised how, how some well regarded track cars by German manufacturers don't last as well as you think. The most impressive is the old V8. There's a, I can't remember the, the part number, but it's the original C63. Continental have got an OG okay. C63 that's got over 100,000 kilometers on it. And the thing's just still absolutely perfect. Like original suspension, original nice. engine. And it just sounds amazing. It goes amazing. Like That's, that's an impressive so, car.
0: Some cars, they, they're not necessarily built to last forever. Like the suspension components are like lifed. And then you need to change them, whatever, 30,000 miles, you've got to do this, 50,000 miles, you've got to do this, especially if you're doing sort of more track work. But yeah, what's the. So you normally use like Golfs and stuff like that. That's often. Is that, is that because of that's a typical customer, like a typical representative of a car, or
2: it's not really? It's just what's available. Ignoring the Market Golf the the mark for, yeah. for me the mark 7 golf or well, mark 7.5 is peak golf and that if it's peak golf then it has to be peak car because the golf is the every car like it's just the the ultimate yeah. hot like just it's just a very good hatchback so the advantage of a golf is like you say it's ubiquitous it's, i don't know if it still is but it was the best-selling uh, car in that segment for a long yeah. period Um, It fits a lot of wheels and uh, a lot of wheel sizes, which is always useful, including the GTIs, because you can go from 17 up to 19 or 20 on a GTI. So that's useful. Um, And they just, the the Mark 7, nice steering, nice balance. You could turn traction control off fully. So you you had in a GTI, you could sometimes you'd have to pull an ABS fuse and they just they were reliable and a lot of testers you'll find a lot of testers if you're testing that segment it will be a golf um i've seen a few people use seats more recently or uh, Cooper's, sorry or Formentas or whatever their brand yeah. is called uh, but it, essentially they're all golfs aren't they they're all v- vag vag group yeah um it, yeah reliability but then i i obviously as a driver um i'd much rather be testing in like a 911 or gt3rs or an m2 or something like that yeah. but uh, we don 't get to do the fun stuff all the time, <laughs> so <laughs> golfs are like golfs yeah. are just like the go to car yeah, yeah yeah yeah, but don't get and then the market okay, the 8. if you spent much time in a market golf i've i 've not driven it i 've uh
0: someone brought one to my house and I had a look at it and was like, hmm. and then all i 've heard is
2: not good things since. It, yeah, <laughs> I, I won't go on. A, <laughs> I won't go on a rant. But yeah, it it, it feels like a very rushed out product, uh, and a lot of the a lot of the engineering choices in not only like the steering rack and suspension, but just like the infotainment system, the fact like how much you can turn the traction control yeah. off. Um, they've made a lot of odd choices, which which is really sad. Uh, it's a nice looking car, which but it's dynamically it's we a seem big to step have back. gone
0: with. I'd say like current generation ish cars, lots of cars being released. The Golf is an example where we've gone to like probably what is like peak touchscreen, and actually everyone's gone, nope. Like, you guys are saving money by doing this, and you think it looks better and people like it, but it is significantly worse.
2: It's just not safe like if you can't, like the the volume controls on the the golf mark 8 they're not illuminated so if you're trying to like mess around with the the (laughs) bit underneath the screen in the dark you are kind of you're stabbing around you can't turn the radio off from the steering wheel anymore i I don't know why like it's about 20 taps to get to traction control which i realize is a is something that's very it's quite niche turning off traction control but you can't turn it fully off so if you actually want it fully off you have to pull the abs fuse then the car has some god-awful brake balance and it's just yeah 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 it's, it's a struggle um, yeah, it's- the gt to be fair that the, the market gti if you reprogram it because vw implemented a very like high level of security for like user programming to keep the car i assume to keep the cars coming back to the dealers so there's only a couple of people okay. in europe outside of vw that can actually reprogram them properly to allow you to fully and it's it's not fully fully but it's mostly off for the traction systems uh but it's very expensive so it's a bit of a conundrum and anyone with a mark 7 golf uh keep hold of it because at some point in the future we'll look back and be like that was peak car that was it yeah. <laughs> yeah. forget your gt3 rs is that golf peak everyday car
0: does everything yeah, yeah. well i was i was looking through various videos that you've done mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, I, and you, you covered a lot of topics that I feel like people are probably interested about. That's probably why you did it. Mm. Um, but one of the, one of the ones was, was running wider tires. And that could be at the front, at the back, mm-hmm. but in general, and the concept people have, most people in their head, but I, I feel, believe a wider tire gives you more grip. Now this is this is a, is a, it it's quite a big topic isn't
2: it <laughs> Yeah it's got, I, I kind of want to leave because it's what you'll <laughs> you'll find there'll be people that will quote like pressure per square like the by going like having a larger contact patch you're reducing the pressure so grip uh, friction yes. friction will be the same overall because it's di- different pressure distribution what those again i'm not an expert on this so i'm probably going to get a lot of it wrong what they're they're assuming with that people who say that they're assuming the grip is purely mechanical and it's not there there is a certain amount of like chemical interaction between the tire and what's going on in the tire and uh, the surface of the road so it's, it's very grip like grip is very very complicated like way beyond my my modest knowledge of it and it's it's not quite that simple now obviously if wider tires didn't give you more grip, Formula One or everyone would be running on like t- narrow tires to save fuel, like or to save aerodynamic yeah. wake because wide tires, they mess up the air. So there's, it, it's certainly not true that all tires give you the same, all sides of tires give you the same grip and wider certainly does give you more grip. Uh, in the video test you've seen, uh that wasn't so that's quite an old video and that wasn't quite uh and basically i need to redo it because we used a 320d i Mm. think um we were expecting an m3 but there were some issues getting the car in time so uh we ended up running on a 320d which didn't really have enough grip to overpower the extra okay the extra rearing grip you got with the white tire um but then also by changing like a bmw as an example by having staggered sizes and going to a square setup whether you're reducing the rear size or up in the front size you're changing the balance of the car as well so if you've gone from like a a 255 rear and a 225 front to a 255 square what you're giving yourself is a more grip at the front axle to turn in and that in return for me for my driving style like it makes me a quicker driver so even if it's not purely yeah. down on grip by changing the balance of the car you're also like affecting the uh the lap time but it definitely wider tires in most situations will give you more grip um but there, there are some caveats same so. compound everything yes yeah yeah finding so like you, you might have this is a, a a fictitious example you might have a like a pilot's walk cup two in 2 to 5, 40, 18, and then you might be able to get it in like three three five 30, 18 or whatever. And, and just because yeah. they're both cup twos and just because they've both got the same tread pattern, I bet one's wider, they might be different compounds as well. Because as, as tire width increases, uh, the tire manufacturers do change the mixture to better cope with the demands those tires are expected to be placed on. And then obviously, again, if you, you start looking at things like Porsche N-rated tires, then it's a whole different kettle of fish like it's it's, okay. it's this is a topic i wanted to talk about which was let's say
0: you know your cup 2 or whatever mm-hmm. a, a sort of a, a tire that you can buy mm-hmm. and then you go to depending on the website or wherever you try and buy them from you might just it might just say cup 2 yeah or certain websites are like they've, they've got like 14 different versions of the same tire ones for ferrari yep. ones for michelin yep. ones for whatever now how much do those change and I guess this is, is some more than yeah. others maybe like and in your experience, have you done have you done a few of the
2: differences different ones next to each other so it it's a good so there's no one answer because you've you've got a hundred different mm-hmm. car marks and a hundred different types of tires and a hundred different intentions of the tires, yeah, so it could be like the tires that come on the gr yaris i got it the right way around uh, that's yeah. a michelin pilot sport 4s that is uh toyota approved but from what i understand it's nearly identical to the aftermarket version uh and i think in okay. in that case it was a kind of reverse that they made this tire for toyota and actually it's it was what toyota wanted from the tire to go with the gr yaris was the blend of qualities they'd want in an aftermarket tire so they just they released it as an aftermarket tire yeah. Then I have, I've got quite an in depth video that I did shot with Michelin about OE versus uh, aftermarket. And that was with the Pilot Sport 4S, okay. uh, which everyone knows and loves. Right. And Michelin developed with BMW a, a 4S, star marked 4S. So that's the star is BMW's OE marking. Now, the yeah. the star marked 4S was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was about three seconds a lap faster in the dry. And that's because they'd moved from, it's essentially a completely different tire they'd spent two or three years on development they'd done countless prototypes this is for the is it the g80 the new m3 m4 um yeah i think countless countless maybe maybe g20 i'm not sure um i've lost it i don't know yeah um e92 was the last one i had so that's the last one i know uh countless prototypes years of testing and what they'd ended up with instead of the, the aftermarket 4S, which everyone knows and loves, it's one of the best ultra-performance or UUHP tires on the market, and that's a dual compound tire. So you've got, you've got like a slightly stickier uh, compound on the shoulder that works better at warmer temperatures, that deals well with cornering grip. Then you've got a more silica-based compound in the center and inside, which is better oh. for wet grip and longevity and rolling resistance and things like that. They've moved from a dual compound to a quad compound, so there was four compounds on this tire instead of two, and this is exactly the same size. Uh, and two of the compounds were essentially a Cup two compounds. So they'd made this; they'd called it the four S okay. star, but it was essentially a hybrid tire. Yeah. It was essentially a Cup two crossed with the four S. And this is this is the, the manufacturers now: M, uh, AMG, Porsche. I'm sure Ferrari to a certain degree what they're looking for is a tire that's optimized for dry performance and dry handling for their, their top of the top cars. And there's only one yeah. reason why, and that's Nürburgring lap times. If I'm, saving, if I'm saving two seconds around Michelin's test track, which is a 55-second lap, imagine how many seconds you're saving yeah, around the Nürburgring. So by making this, this tire that is optimized for dry, so you do lose out in the wet, and it is the tire that comes with the car along with the OE Pirelli tire, BMW might be making a minute around the Nürburgring. That might be a little bit, optimistic but they're, they're making a chunk of time and that's that's awesome a for yeah time, yeah that's awesome for marketing and then you have porsche uh who obviously the cup 2r was developed as far as i'm aware uh yeah, with porsche to smash records <laughs> to, to go around it's, it's essentially or last a lap of the nurburgring at peak um to smash that records there and it's an astounding tire um and then the other things the other things i've heard that people find interesting is like porsche versus ferrari the development the development lines for those two while they both marks do want performance from what i understand and this isn't from any particular tire manufacturer from what i understand is the porsche tire is going to be more optimized for the driver and the ferrari tire is going to be more optimized for the i don't i don't know the kindest way of saying it but the rich russian maybe so the person okay. that buys a Ferrari and has a super high performance car, but doesn't really want to drive it. They want to like parade around Saloon street or New yeah. Bond street or whatever. So wet grip and comfort and everything like it's, it's more of a blended uh, performance. Whereas someone who's buying a GT3 RS, what do they want from the tire? They're not going to normally, they're less yeah. likely to be parading around London and more likely to be hitting the, like the the Spanish yeah. roads or the the track. So even with, those two marks where you think they'd be very similar, admittedly different engine layout, but you think they'd have quite similar goals. There is actually quite different goals between them. So there's a lot that interesting. The, the amount of work that goes into OE tires is, for, especially for the big marks and the high performance vehicles, is incredible. Uh, and companies like Pirelli, who who are OE on like every supercar that exists, every Lamborghini, every Ferrari, a lot of Porsches yeah. that come out all the specials. They're essentially it might be a P zero. Uh, but it's the P zero you're getting on your Lamborghini is very different than the P zero you're going to get on your BMW and this and that. So it's all the same name, but they've it's 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 serious work. It's really serious work, but even for things like uh, nice. even things like golfs or whatever there'll be a lot of work to optimize rolling resistance to optimize comfort without sacrificing wet grip and to uh, like Audi do a lot of work with uh tire manufacturers with the foam matting so they can chew you know the the see the sorry the sound deadening technology that goes into like A okay. sensors and things yeah. like that and they bond foam to the inside of the tire like very simple but very effective yeah. like it can it can drop sound by about three decibels internally which is like it's, it's not, the, yeah, yeah. double the sound pressure um but they will they will even tune the foam to work with that particular vehicle and suspension and things like that, so o okay. yeah. e is definitely not definitely not a, a a marketing exercise to get you to buy tires for the vehicle they are they are in a lot of cases they are tuned, but then you 've got to think once a tire is o e what a lot of people don 't realize is once a tire is marked o e so like the the Michelin Pilot Supersport that came with the BMW M2 originally, that Pilot Supersport mm. that you're buying now, unless they've been through a, another OE program, is exactly the same tire that got homologated back when the M2 was in development. And that's, that's what 10 years ago. So now you've got the uh, question is, is a is a 10 year old Pilot Supersport, because Michelin aren't allowed to change anything about that tire without yeah. going through a new homologation loop. So the, then the question is, sorry if I'm talking so much, is is the 10-year-old well, Pilot Supersport that was designed for that vehicle better than the four-year-old Michelin Pilot Sport 4S, which wasn't designed for that vehicle. So that's where it gets really complicated. And for every OE tyre, there's going to be a crossover between which is better, the, the older developed tyre or the newer undeveloped tyre. Um, and that's a question that is so difficult because people ask me all the time and it's almost impossible to answer yeah. without testing it because it really depends on what the design goal, like that Pilot Supersport that came with the M2, it's a BMW M car, so it's very dry focused. So compared to a modern tire in the wet, it's it's sketchy. Like it's really sketchy, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure, is it the same size or is it a different size? There's It's the same tire or a very similar tire that's coming out on the, the BMW Supra, so the Z4 and the Toyota Supra. So that comes with yeah. a, a BMW marked Pilot Supersport and like in terms of wet performance, that tire's been long overtaken so in that case you could be buying a new car swapping the tires out for a set of four s's that weren't intended for that car and getting a significant increase in things like wet performance comfort rolling resistance and maybe equal or That's or losing out a little bit in the dry
0: yeah i had that with my um i have a 997 very nice gt3rs beautiful and um that came on cup no pilot sport cups the original cups That's what they were i think yeah, yeah. Um, which were just horrific in the wet. <laughs> if they were hot, they were fine. Like, you, can't they, get, they were okay. you can't
2: get them hot on but, the road in the wet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely yeah. not in the UK. Um, and But then, so when the new well, Cup 2s came out and they started getting N-rated, I don't know what it was, there would have been a GT3 RS had come out, 991, I yeah. don't know, dot one or something. Um, as soon as they'd got that N-rating, and it was like N1 and then there's an N2 mm-hmm. as well. Um, I put them on and I think I actually put them on before... Porsche then have said, like now, say you can put those on those Is cars it the same size? Fine. Or is it a slight... And uh, you keep your warranty. Say so I went same okay, size, right. um, which was like 325, mm. 30, 19 or something. Um, and so much better in the wet. Like so much better in the wet and last much longer. Like great. Um, But then you get, okay, another thing within that is you've mentioned, let's say, okay, your car comes and it has a Michelin option and a Pirelli option. And it could come on either. And definitely marketing slash the internet would say, get the Michelin all day long. It's so much better. Now, obviously you have to test a certain tyre, but how similar are those two options? Not saying one's better than the other. On a car that you've tested?
2: So I have yet to test an I like on a BMW an OE, an OE comparison. So an yeah. OE between the Michelin and the Prelli. So it's a good example on BMWs, yeah. because I see people that have been had their M2s, M3s, M4s delivered on the Prelli P0 Star Mark tire, and they're 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 crying yeah. on the forum, saying oh, I'm gonna send the I'm gonna return the car to BMW, I don't want it. If yeah. the OE program has gone as well as it should have, in theory, those two tires should be nearly indistinguishable, because the goal of the OE program okay. is to have multiple options of tires delivering the same performance. Now, obviously, with two different okay. manufacturers, with two different design ethos,es two different manufacturing like technologies, there are going to be some differences, but in theory, they should it should be way closer, like a, a star marked. Pilot Sport 4S and the StarMark P0 should be much closer in performance because they're intended for that vehicle and application. And they've been tested by BMW for years to get them as close as possible to each other than the aftermarket version. So in a scenario where Michelin did used to have a lead over Pirelli uh, in the aftermarket, and I think they probably still do, although Pirelli Pirelli have sort of renewed their aftermarket uh, emphasis recently because they identified they've Mm -hmm. been too focused on oe so pirelli have been caught up in this like we're going to be oe for everything and then that's great because the the theory in the industry is if you buy a new car you'll fit the same tires the oe tires for the first two or three times and then you'll start looking at the aftermarket and pirelli wanted that market which is fine uh but they've also realized in that with that focus their their aftermarket tire range has perhaps fallen a little bit behind where they should be. So they're, they're renewing all their tires and the latest P Zero, I believe it won Evo uh, recently, one of the Evo tie tests. It was, it was up the front with Michelin. So in theory, the, the latest generation of Pirelli and Michelin are very similar. I haven't, haven't seen any wear tests between the two. That's normally where Michelin uh, have a bit of an advantage, but uh, to answer your question, the, the OE ties in theory should be very similar to each other in performance. So they shouldn't
0: Right, 'cause I I have a an M three forty I touring. Nice. And that's on Pirelli, yeah. P0, whatever's. Um whenever you drive a BMW press mm-hmm. car, they're always on the Michelin's. Yes. Even though they could be yes. on either. Um don't know why. <laughs> um and everyone says to me, they're like, You should put it on the Michelins. Put it on the Michelins. Just take them off, put it on the Michelins. And I know if you if if your car came on run flats, absolutely get rid of run flats. If that's number one, Uh, my main thing with that car would be ride ride comfort really, and uh, yeah, probably noise and just all round kind Mm. of you know usability rather than outright performance or anything. Um, And actually, the tires are quite. I've used them in the wet, and they're they're pretty good. Um, But everyone's telling me the missions are like fifty times better.
2: I, th- I think everyone's <laughs> a little bit optimistic there, um, or someone at BMW who's done a very bad job on their OE program. Uh, I think you would be insane to take off. Like, if it came, if for whatever reason you bought it, you used it and it came on, like, the Wusong Ditch Finders, like some Chinese tire that was yeah. atrocious, I'd be like, you yeah, take them off, like, throw them away. But to take a tire off without, like, without needing to because of wear like a tire like Pirelli to take it off and just replace it with another premium brand Michelin isn't like, you have to be, you have to have more money than sense, I think. Um But I, I would encourage you because the beauty of tires is you can, you do eventually change them. I would definitely encourage you when it comes to needing a new set of tires, to stick the Michelins on and see what you like. Let me know what you think. Let everyone know yeah. what you think. I think it will be closer than you, you think. And the other, the other thing that's very difficult to keep in mind is you're testing like old for new when you put a new set of tires on. So you might've run those Prellies for 15,000 miles. Yep. And th- at the end of 50,000 miles in a couple of seasons, they've gone through temperature changes. Their compound is like, you've got very little tread depth left. So the, the block movements, you- the tire might feel stiffer and more sporty because as a tire wears, like the steering response gets better and your rolling resistance yep. is going to get better and they'll actually get quieter, but wet grip is going to drop off significantly. And wet grip is probably the easiest thing to feel on the road because to really push like the to limit of dry grip, dry grip handling uh, on a car like yours on the public roads. It's, it's essentially illegal. So wet grip is your only real yeah. benchmark. And after two years and 15,000, 20,000, 000 whatever miles, that P0 at 1.6 mil is going to have significantly worse uh, wet grip than even a new P0. So when you put, if you put a new Michelin on, mm. it's, just, it's, it's difficult to kind of keep that headspace. And uh, definitely Michelin make good tires. I'm not denying that they make some of the best tires in the world. I think over over an entire product range, Michelin still probably has the edge. Um, but I don't think the gap is quite as vast as everyone says it is online. And I feel like if people bought your car on Michelin's, wore them down to 1.6 mil, and then put on a set of Pirellis, they'd be like, oh, wow, these are comfortable and great in the wet now. Like there, there is... Yeah, Once you yeah, get this yeah, yeah. sort of momentum of people moving away from something to Michelin, they then had this old versus new experience. They're like, wow, these are amazing. And like yeah. Michelin tire the the 4S is an amazing tire. I'm just saying it's not it's not fifty times better than any other tire on the planet, and that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you'd be crazy to think that.
0: That's an interesting point. That <clears> most <throat> people are trying
2: an old tire versus yeah. a new tire, which is like, yeah, it's a rubbish. Comparison. Yeah, so obviously when testing, yeah. we all we were very we're super strict on like keeping everything exactly the same for every single set of tires. So, uh, mm. it, the comparisons we do, and you, I'll get it on you. Like obviously YouTube comments, are the best place in the world for user feedback. Cause everyone's an expert and you'll get, you'll get people commenting like, I oh, know your test is wrong. I've, I, I had these set of tires and I've got this set of tires and this set of tires is way better. I'm like, yeah, but you're comparing old to new across like across years. Like there's, there's no, I'm comparing the same things yeah. on the same day. We also, what people also forget is like, oh, i, I ran this set of tires at you at this track day. And then a month later, I went back with another set of tires and ran two seconds a lap slower. I'm like, great. You, you change the track temperature by 15 degrees. You're like, you're running two seconds a lap yeah. slower. You change, like you put some like slightly different like surface preparation. You're running two set Like there's so many variables people don't appreciate. And like just if we're doing a like a let's say a wet handling test and we've got 10 sets of tires every three sets of tires we're running a control tire so we'll start the test with a control tire and then run one two three control four five six control seven eight nine control ten control and then you see the evolution of the surface so over if you've got a big temperature swing uh, if, you're, if you've got a big temperature swing, your lap times might change by like two seconds a lap. Like you're driving the same, you're driving the same car, yeah. the tires are the same, but what's happening is the grip of the surface is evolving throughout the day. And in things like wet handling, as you're driving, you're putting more rubber down as well. So you're making the driving line a little bit slippier. So there's, there's a lot going on. And then we have to calculate, like we look at the evolution throughout the day, and then we calculate that all back to the, the average of the, the test tires. So everything's mm. as fair as it possibly can be. And obviously we're topping up the fuel lab between every run. So we're not like, like we, there's so many different variables.
0: Yes. Yeah. And then you <laughs>
2: see people like uh, CarWow, who are an amazing YouTube channel. They do their break. They do their nought to sixties and braking tests. Yeah. It's in tight in the water tire testing. No one does acceleration tests because the variance is so high, even with like uh, launch control and automatic gearboxes it's really, really difficult to do consistently. And then braking testing, like if you're slight, like I find braking testing is the, not the worst thing in the world that's being dramatic. It's, it's, it's definitely a, it's a talent and a skill that takes a certain mindset because uh, on a lot of tracks, unless the track's brand new and just been surfaced, if you're like a quarter of a tire width off the line, you're, you're breaking in, in the wet it can change yeah. by two meters. And like two meters is a huge yeah. difference. And then, if the brake pressure you apply isn't exactly the same, you can be changing by a meter. If you start braking yep. a little bit too late, you could like you're changing by a meter. So you have to be so precise uh, to get accurate data for these tires. You need a robot. Yeah, yeah. some some tire manufacturers literally use robots. Um, Continental have our uh, uh, indoor braking analyzer, and it's it's like a roller coaster. It's yeah. a car on a roller coaster rail that gets it's fully automated. So hydraulic pressure on the brake pedal and everything. And then you can get variants in ABS. Sometimes the ABS will just will just release for a split second longer for whatever reason. It's detected a little bit more slip on a wheel. You've got another like meter yeah. of braking distance. So wet braking, we have you have like a computer system that's recording every measurement you do and you keep on running until the computer tells you, okay, you've got enough data points within a certain variance that this test is, we're now happy with this test. The test is green. And that's often like nine, 10, 11 braking runs to get six or seven good ones within a zone. Um, That Then you can be like, okay, I'm going to go change tires and do the next set. And then if you're doing that for 10 sets of tires with controls every three, you're doing maybe 150, 200 braking runs in a day. And that's... That's, that's long. It's really long. But it's the only way of getting like proper data because if you go on a wet runway and put two cars next to each other and hit brake, it's, it's, it's meaningless. It's essentially meaningless.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you then drive? Because you, you, you're a person on the internet that's like, oh, I'm so much faster in this yeah. car on this day or whatever. Like there's so much subjective stuff about unless you are and even when you are like a professional driver and you're like i'm doing exact it's it's the repeatability side of it how do you do a lap in a car and then repeat that lap but like using the how does that get accounted for in the testing and stuff because obviously you're not gonna do exactly the same. so no
2: so you generally with something like dry handling or wet handling you'll do three or four laps and average and even more maybe if you make if everyone makes mistakes and like sometimes you make a mistake. Yeah. So you, you know, right, I'll hit the computer, delete that lap, ignore that lap. Um, so we generally do three or four laps. And it, depending on the track, we're looking for like a target variance. So normally it's about 0.3 to 0.5% uh, per lap. So like Goodyear's okay. Miraval circuit and a golf is about a minute 40. So there, I'm kind of looking for anything between sort of 0.3 of a second is a, like a, an allowable variance um, for that lap yeah. time. And that is, It's, I guess it's with experience, it becomes easier to do. And the thing you've got to remember is tire testing, you're not driving a qualifying lap every lap. You're driving like a good endurance race pace every lap, but you're not like, you're not screeching right. around on the, the, like you're at nine and three quarter tenths, not 10 tenths. So they sort the, of the the errors you make when you're at ten tenths tend to dissipate. And I actually I find I, I drive more aggressively than a lot of tire testers because um, I I can compare my own lap times at test facilities with uh, the the testers at the proving grounds or other testers, yeah. and I know what tires and cars. And I actually I'm generally about a second a lap quicker or two seconds a lap quicker because I do drive it more like a, a track day lap than uh, some of the tire testers yeah. do. Um, but it is it is a very – for scoring – let me think about how to word this. For scoring tires, for an ultra-high performance tire in the dry, obviously you're testing many factors, but like focusing on dry handling, which is very important for an ultra-performance yeah. tire like a 4S or something, you've got an objective thing, which is the lap time, and that is set by the driver. And even that can vary between driving styles, but then you have subjective scoring as well. So subjectiveness is yeah. like, how's the balance of the car? How's the feedback of the tire? How's the, the directness of the steering? Is there a delay as you steer? How is the on-center response? How does yeah. it build load? Like lots of things. And because like by the very nature of that, that's subjective. That's something that can vary quite a lot between test drivers. So a tire that like yeah. everyone in the world seems to love the Michelin Pilot Sport 4S on track. It's one of my least favorite tires on track just because it's quite a slow steering tire. But that's something that's I, I realize that's something that's subjective to me. And on the road, mm. that doesn't really translate because you're not putting as much load through it. So you kind of have to think about dry handling or subjectiveness as okay, what do I like? Also, what's most applicable to a lot of people in the real world? And things like balance, like the ability to recover from understeer, how the tire reacts, like what's the progression when you sort of switch into oversteer. Yeah. So there's lots of things we're grading on, and it, it does vary from test to test. So when You'll see like my test, putting tire X as number one in the the dry. And then another magazine will go on a different day using a similar vehicle and similar sets of tires and similar tire sizes. You can get some inversions in the result just through driving style. And it's, I guess, one of the the beauty of modern tires is we've got so many good options. The options are all so good and so similar that things like driving style can actually cause a, a little bit of variance. But generally, the good tires will stay good and the bad tires will stay bad. I'm not sure if that answered. That's an interesting. I'm not sure if that answered your original question or not. I I forgot what you asked. Essentially,
0: whilst the lap time, and I could see all sorts of reasons Hmm. why that might vary loads, but that's not actually really what it's down to. Like you're not, you're not selling a 4S to a race team. It's not happening. So you're not. And generally, if you're racing, you're racing on a controlled tire. Yeah, tire-ish. exactly.
2: But I think I think there's a lot of importance. So, uh, but so the subjectivity. Yeah, stuff. there's a lot of importance in subjectiveness, and you're right. I think the ultimate ten tenth out of a tire isn't important for the average track day. But then you can argue that the the, the you want the highest level of grip on the road, so the fastest tire generally will have the highest level of grip laterally. And, like, if you want the ultimate grip on the road and the ultimate safety, that will be the tyre that gives you that that thing. But then I think a lot of people forget.
0: Is that necessarily the case? Like, in terms of, I would say, there's, there's let's say the difference, an extreme example of these two things would be the highest level of grip might be a slick. Yes. And a slick that then, once you've gone over a certain angle of yaw or whatever it is, um, drops off yes. rapidly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas you might have a treaded tire that you've got rather than 2 degrees to play with, 3 degrees you might have 8 degrees, which was, when you start to lose yeah. it is a big yeah. difference.
2: That's uh, like the that, I call that the progressiveness of the tire. So once the tires once you pass the limit, yeah. like how much communication and what's your window of operation. And on things like on winter tires on snow, that's that's incredibly important because if you've got a tire that allows a little bit of movement but still like the grip doesn't fall off a cliff quickly um that's yeah. a tire that's very controllable whereas a tire that has slightly higher peak grip but then the grip drops down dramatically then you've got you've got <laughs> you've got a problem in the snow because once the grip's gone you're, you're spinning around yes so yeah there's there's definitely and the chance of that yeah. is high <laughs> but you've also got to remember like if you're on a track you want good steering response, or if you've got a performance car, you want good steering response. You don't want a tire yep. that takes a minute to obtain slip angle. Takes like if you've watched any of my videos where you've, I've had a GoPro focused on like a front tire, the amount of front tire will fold underneath the the car during cornering. Is that like it's okay. unbelievable? Um, and then that that introduces further delays into the steering. So like I, for me personally, like on on my Skoda at home, I've got an Octavia VRS in the UK. I chose to put the Continental yeah. Premium Contact Six on as opposed to. A, I had the Goodyear Eagle F1 Asymmetric Five, the Michelin Pilot Sport Four, and the Continental Premium Contact Six. Three premium tires, all in the same size. I had. It was after a mini test. They were pretty much brand new, and I chose to stick yeah. with the Continental. It, it wasn't because it was the best all round tire; it's because it was the best for me, the best steering position and quickness. They sponsored you no, 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 no I, I've <laughs> never king taken king. money for a tire test. Now, something I have to be frustratingly <laughs> yeah. annoying on. Well, no, but I, kept the, I didn't tell you. Yeah. I think you might be the first person that I've told I've kept the Continental on purely because I like mm. the steering response from it. It wasn't the most comfortable. It wasn't the best okay. in the way, but the margins were, were small. But for that car, it was, okay, it's a Skoda, but it's a VRS and it's quite a stiff chassis. I like the steering mm. response. And for me, that was more important than having like, the ultimate breadth of ability uh, because arguably, the other two tyres were slightly better all round.
0: And if you take
2: a couple of tyres
0: like that, you know, similar category, all the sort of big names, mm-hmm. what sort of level of differences on those, each segment are we looking at? Like, the you're saying you preferred the Continental yeah. versus the other two. Now, how different
2: are they? Like best to worst, not saying which is which. Subjectively, it depends how sensitive you are. Because I think a lot of drivers wouldn't notice the difference between all three. But then a lot of drivers like yourself, you've got a lot of experience in fast cars and and very responsive cars. I think you would notice the difference. And I think you'd find subjectively, things like steering response, um, you would find quite big differences between like the Michelin and the Continental. Um, In terms Mm. of grip... Dry grip between the premium tires is is very close. Uh, dry braking, dry handling is generally within maybe five six percent maximum. Um, so in the dry, for me, subjective is more important because if I okay, if I'm if I'm getting an extra three percent dry lap time for a road tire, does that really matter? But if I'm getting something that I find very noticeable in steering response and subjectiveness, that's mm. that's a bigger priority for me. In the wet, generally the the top tires, the premium tires are very close. But you do find sometimes that uh, as you're going through like this generational update, so like Goodyear and Michelin have just yeah. updated. So the Asymmetric 6 has just come out and the Pilot Sport 5 has just come out. But the, the Continental version, right. the Premium Contact 6 and the P0, they're now, I mean, four or five years old, I think, maybe four years old. So naturally the progress made by the, the more recent tire from the premium manufacturers is, is in theory going to give you a bit of an advantage. Ah, okay. So you've also got to think about when did That's this tire come to market and to, for further complications, a lot of, not all tires, but a lot of manufacturers will quietly midlife update the tire sort of the premium contact six that came out four years ago <laughs> okay. probably isn't the same premium contact six that you buy today, but we don't know what's different because they haven't told yeah. us. But generally, the manufacturers just to keep the tyres relevant in the tests, because obviously everything's tested every year, they will put small updates in. Yeah, and the only way you would know is you'd be buying a different IPC or EAN. But the the name and the size and everything like that is exactly the same. It would just be a a background change, and it's very difficult to know what you're getting. Yeah, <laughs> tyres are tyres are complicated.
0: That's an interesting part of it. Okay, that puts another spanner in this you've bought a car whatever 2017 2015 your second yeah. hand car it came on pirelli's michelin's and whatever and you're like well mm. if you if it's on 10 year old spec p0s and you change it to a 4s or or whatever like a a 5 year, year newer tire you probably will notice a big difference between the tires but then if the Pirelli has done an OE update. Uh, OE is different. You're
2: not allowed. Once an OE pattern is locked, that's fixed if for 10 years. They're not allowed to make any changes. Okay. Yeah? So to change an OE tire would have to be another homologation program. And that's why sometimes with Porsche, especially, you see N1, N2, N3, that's a that's yeah. either a tire, more commonly, that's a tire that's come out for another car, another generation of car. Um Yes that has the same tire size because often sometimes they'll change tire sizes and sometimes they won't uh but sometimes they'll uh they'll just run an internal like a, an update uh program during a car's life porsche may be less so actually but that porsche uh, porsche take tires super seriously that you they'll run they'll, they'll run a new oe tire for a facelift so not even a new generation of cars so a, a point one okay. or a point two will have a different OE tyre from the point yeah. 0.1. And that's when you'll get like an N1, N2, N3. Like it's, it's the work Porsche. Yeah, because I tire. remember those coming out. Yeah, Porsche, Porsche do tyres. Yeah. like even for things like, so I was at Prelli, uh in Sweden and I was like, oh, you've got some like Porsche testing going. And I asked like, oh, yes, for the new Cayenne. I was like, there's a new Cayenne coming out because I, I bought a Cayenne in the US. They're like, oh, no, it's just a facelift. Yeah. I'm like, "So sorry, you're making new, these all winter tyres. I'm like, you are making new winter tyres for a facelift they're like yeah porsche P- porsche wants something completely like every time porsche put out a new car they want it to be different it's not like uh, we're going to put a new bumper on it yeah like they're going they're like some of the changes that are you know better than anyone but they're changing the suspension for a facelift and it's like what how is this yeah like the you know, porsche engineering is incredible that's for sure
0: it is it they are my yes. favorite brand and this is probably one of the reasons why you look at this this sort of stuff and it's it is it's, it's
2: It's almost frustrating because i don't know about you when i started tire testing or when i was into cars this was the time of chris harris evo like drivers of republic like porsche mm. porsche were a thing and i'm like I, you know what everyone loves porsche i'm not going to be a sheep i'm not going to be that person just like our oh, yeah, porsche yeah, make yeah. the best cars i'm going to find something else i love and like really like stick with that and then I've, I've been lucky enough to drive a lot of different supercars and it comes down to Porsche make the best cars. They just do. It's frustrating, but if you've driven like yeah. a GT3 RS or a GT2 RS in anger, there's pretty much nothing better you can get for the road. Like the the new 3RS right. is. I, I've spoken to a, a few test.
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
2: Drivers, like tire test drivers uh, that have driven Mm. the new 3RS now. And they, (laughs) I've never seen a group like this. These are all individual people and it's so consistent. This thing is insane. That is, it's such a big step forward. They're like, it's incredible. So, like that is a car that everyone should be super excited about.
0: I'm really excited to see yeah. it. It's not something I would necessarily want to own because, like, I'm not going to drive a car like that. I would rather have a race yes, car yeah. and and hammer that than take a road car. But you, I think, off the back of uh, AMG GT Black Series, for example, which is like a pretty loony looking yeah. thing, I think Porsche have gone. Ah, they're getting a bit close now. <laughs> We're getting a bit close let's let's take it up and even like new GT3 is much more of a serious car than previous generation yes, GT3 yeah, for sure like it's so much more kind of like hardcore and you like and then we have the RS which just has to be another jump yeah has there any images okay. been
2: leaked of it yet the RS
0: there's there's sort of like uh, not proper
2: proper images I've, heard, um,
0: I've i think just like massive yes wings. that's what
2: i've heard from people who have Experience it's just like they're like, it is. It's everyone says an RS is a race car for the road. You'll you won't find like tired people who have driven, you probably like when people have raced, you will probably have found that less. They'll be like, the GT3 RS is an amazing road car, but it's yeah. it is a road car. But yeah, from what yeah. I'm hearing, that the new RS will be a race I car for the road, which is fantastic with
0: this sort of new, yeah. With the new kind of RSs and stuff from like nine nine one kind of onwards, when you compare them to the cup cars, um, and and I've not driven a cup car, but I think they're getting closer and closer and closer. And actually, uh, if you take the GT two RS and then go MR on it, sort of thing, like that is a faster car than a cup car, probably by quite a bit. If you could put run it on the same tires,
2: a lot of that's to do with power as well. So obviously, what's a cup car got five hundred horsepower? Yeah. And an, an MR yeah. two RS, I, I don't know what they are. A lot. I don't know. Yeah, six yeah. something, six something, six something. It's got to be six. Something, I'm surprised six 50, they're not in the sevens. sevens. But
0: I think, yeah, who knows? I think you just like sneeze on them, and they're
2: what, one of know, the the one knows. of the craziest experiences. I've ever had in a car was I did a test with a two RS at Xcari and it was a part of a good year tire event. And they mm. kindly like, let me have the afternoon nice. to myself for the super sport RS, the R and RS, which is their version of the cup two and cup two R v- very good tires. Um, okay. and I'd, I'd started the morning with the group and the tire launch and the three RSs and they had a two RS that uh, I got to use in the afternoon for the test. So I ran the test in the tour rs and then we had like five minutes at the end of the day and I'd come into the pit lane and I was like, oh, there's a 3RS there. Do you mind if I just jump in it and do like a couple of laps just so I can, I've got this, I've gone from a 3RS mm. to a 2RS. What's it like going back to a 3RS? And I remember coming yeah. out of the pits in third as I had in the 2RS and the girl's waving the flag so I can go. I'm like, brilliant. Put my foot down. I'm like, shit, the car's broken because there was so little power compared to the 2RS. I'm like, <laughs> what? why isn't this accelerating? I'm like, fuck. And then I'm like, hold on, this is a GT three RS. This is probably the best engine in any production road car ever. Yeah. I'm like, and it feels like it's broken <clears throat> compared to the torque of the 2 RS. Like, yeah. I just remember being so panicked for a split second until I realized I didn't have like two massive turbos uh, giving me <laughs> loads of torque. But yeah, what a what an experiment. Like what a pair of cars as well. Like like you say, you you don't yeah, you don't um yeah, you don't want to love Porsche, but then you drive Porsche and you love Porsche. 'Cause uh yeah,
0: and they keep they keep coming out with things that you're like oh, that's pretty cool GT4 RS oh, pretty cool
2: if I had some money yeah
0: and then uh, yeah and then they're difficult to get hold of and you're like oh for yeah. fuck's sake but um the your your turbo experience is an interesting one so I have a radical SR3 nice. which is 240 horsepower something like that. 230 horsepower, but 550 kilos, 600 kilos of downforce at like 100 yeah. miles an hour. So I've been riding I've, I've a Scary in an but, um, SR3 in
2: the West. Mind bending. Mind oh, nice. bending what that can do. Yeah.
0: yeah. So Radical let me drive the other day, their SR10, which is kind of, it's a different engine, but it's 440 horsepower and it's heavily turbocharged. And went out on that. And for the first like session, it's like, oh my god mm. this is crazy fast you, and then you, you get you're used just to it. any
2: amount of power you just yeah. look
0: at the data and go yeah it, it's, it's stupid and you get to the, i realized i was breaking a lot yeah. for corners i was at Sneston that i probably wouldn't break for so much and let's say in an sr3 you're doing 130 let's say at the end of the start mm-hmm. finish straight like as a, as a guess and you break a bit and do 120 around the first corner you still do you still can do 120 round it in the SR10. But you're doing like 165. Like and so you, before you get to it.
2: <laughs> but you just yeah. get used to it straight away. It, you, it's it's scary to think about how quickly it becomes normal. Uh, and then you've you've readjusted yeah. what is your normal and then I I'm guessing if you got back in your SR3 yeah, you have to go back. <laughs> must have felt like a, a Robin Reliant or something.
0: I, I've not driven it. I've not driven it since. But um, I, I'm slightly worried that just I need drive lots leave, of
2: slow cars in between. Leave it and I'll get a 1.4 Golf and yep. do a road Go trip re- in it. Yeah, rent yeah. a one liter yep. something for mm. a, a
0: week. It's a good a good reset. It's um, an incredible car though. Okay, one yeah. of the things. So you you do, yeah, very very cool. Um, and yeah, just mad. Like compared to road cars, those things are just. You can't do it. Once you've done that, attract it. How's it compared eight, to you? the 3RS? Like, or even a test day. Uh, uh, 3RS, genuinely, I dri- I've d- driven a Radical a lot now on track. Driven the 3RS a lot on track. And you get in that, it feels like absolute boobies. Everything feels heavy. It takes ages to slow down. It's like not that quick. Really slow round corners. Like It's just completely ruined. GT3 it feels 3RS. like you're breaking yeah. the
2: car. And he's like, yeah,
0: it feels slow. Yeah. It's like you you come in uh, one of the things as well, like like race car mm. versus road car. The cooling is sorted, like properly sorted. So you set your fastest lap, and then on the in lap you yeah. go flat out, and then you just drive into the pits, turn it yeah. off, whatever. Everything's cool. It's like nothing's going to set on fire,
2: like all of that sort of stuff. The uh, the this, but, yeah, it, That's it super, is, the Caprio T one um i don't know if that company ever made any cars but that yes. for me that was the ultimate yeah. fire. <laughs> well it's the thing with british cars it seems so for me that seemed like the ultimate <laughs> car because it was it's like add add less weight so just make something as light as possible yes. and i guess i saw um i saw a valkyrie myra testing and that thing looks like Mm. Looks and sounds bonkers. Actually, it's, I saw a Valkyrie so and a Project cool. One were both testing at Myra, like like in the same week. Oh, really? Yeah, so that was super interesting. The Project One genuinely sounds like a Formula One car. It's like McLaren of sorry, Mercedes have just really yeah, stick that engine in there and see what happens. And the, the Valkyrie, I'm, yeah. f- I'm sure you've heard them. They just sound beautiful. Um,
0: Except yeah, the Valkyrie sounds like what should, a Formula yeah, One cars yeah, exactly. should sound like. <laughs> it's like going to a festival of speed and watching
2: all the Formula One cars from like the '60s or whatever. Or they start to come up the hill. Yeah, and you get to like the '80s and '90s, you're like, this is amazing. And then the turbocharged era appears, and yeah. you're like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah,
0: it's just not. It's just not as good. Um, you do a bunch of like testing in the winter and and stuff like that. I thought we'd cover one of the topics that comes up. I think probably most people know the answer to this one or the answers, but around mm-hmm. winter tires versus all-wheel drive, all wheel whatever, all Agreed. weather tires. Sorry, winter tires and all weather tires versus and summer tires, and then front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, four-wheel mm-hmm. drive, blah, blah 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 blah. All of that. Can you encompass give us like an overall summary on What's better than what, what
2: situations, and possibly general uh, advice? <laughs> a complicated question. We've, <laughs> uh, we've been going quite a while now, so I'm going to try and be I as agree. brief as possible. Okay, winter tires are the best in winter, um, gen- generally. In, in snow and ice, right. ice particularly, a winter tire will have an advantage over in a weather tire, because it's, it's more psyched. And if, do you have much American audience? because uh, there's some naming conventions I need to clear up. Uh, so in, in the UK, we have all-season tires and winter tires and summer tires. We don't have an all-weather tire. Okay. Um, America has an all-season tire okay. that doesn't exist in Europe. Uh, so if you're American and you're hearing me say all-season, I actually mean all-weather because that's the same. Um, so a modern all-season tire, or all-weather tire if you're American, okay. uh, has way more performance in the snow than a summer tire. But as... As technology is improving, they're slowly for for smaller cars. I would say they're slowly getting closer to a, a summer tire. So the disadvantage you have with a a siped tire, so a winter tire and all season tire, siped, which is those very thin cuts um, in the tire to give you edges yeah. and block movement, and it has a softer compound. The biggest uh, disadvantage is always dry braking, just because the forces in dry braking cause all these sites okay. to like splay open as they're designed to do in snow, but it it, it reduces yeah. the amount of rubber in contact with the road and then reduces grip quite significantly. They're getting better in dry handling, so something like a Michelin Cross Climate Two is is getting closer to a summer tire in dry braking. Uh, the Cross Climate Two is now better than a lot of winter tires in snow, but it it does give up a little bit in the wet. So there's it depending on what tire and what category you're looking at there's always a balance which is why sites like tyre reviews exist and independent testing exists to tell you exactly what mm. tyre is good at what so you can pick your own your own uh, solution um as for drive so sorry to go back to the all season versus winter tyre uh, i think for a lot of the uk if you want to swap tyres every year an all season tyre can be a better option than a winter tyre because the all-season tire still has the compound that doesn't harden up as much as a summer tire when it's cold and wet so that's the advantage for the majority of the british yeah. winter and then for that three days every six years we actually get snow and all-season tire will massively outperform everything else on the road because everyone's just on summer tires and everyone's sliding around yeah uh drivetrain um obviously all-wheel drive versus two-wheel drive um you have so the, the thing you notice most when testing, when doing the comparative between the two drive trains, is you you're, you have so much traction, you don't realize, even on a winter tire, you have so much traction from all drive, you don't realize how little braking you have when you arrive at the corner. So it almost lulls you into a false sense of security that you're launching yourself out, and on the road you'd be like joining a a, a country road at like speed, accelerating up no problem, then yeah. get to the first corner and be sliding off. So... There's a hundred percent there's a massive advantage in terms of traction with an all-wheel drive system, especially in the snow, but you've just got to recalibrate because that traction only exists in acceleration. And arguably because the vehicle's heavier, yeah. you have less ability to turn and brake, mm-hmm. although marginal. Uh and then front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive. Um, I've actually just tested this uh with Goodyear this year and the video will be out at the end of this year. So I did a full video on it. Um, I thought front wheel drive was going to be better. Uh, and we did acceleration and handling and a hill start, and rear wheel drive was better. Both, tires were, both cars were on it. It was an Audi A4 um, and a BMW 3 Series, both yeah. exactly the same, essentially exactly the same way. It was as close as I could humanely possibly make it between front and rear wheel drive. Yeah. Same power, both two litre diesels. Uh, and the BMW had the advantage in pretty much every. The only advantage the Audi had was when the traction control systems were off, um, the Audi allowed a bit more slip at the rear. Obviously, being front-wheel drive, it doesn't have to be so nervous about throttle oversteer. So that allowed you around the handling lap a bit better. And it just felt like the traction control system was a little less less draconian during... Acceleration test because to accelerate on snow you need about like 15% slip is optimal and okay. the BMW wasn't allowing any slip. Yeah. But with all the systems off, the BMW was obviously more fun to drive because it's rear wheel drive. Mm. Uh, and it was like we ran so we did some hill testing like on a 15% snowy incline. And we like me and the other test driver were borrowed from Goodyear, who was an Audi fan. So he was in the Audi, I was in the BMW, and we were convinced that Audi was going to win. And we ran it a couple of times, and every time the BMW. So we were swapping lanes to. Because obviously, yeah. not all snows equal. So we were we were swapping over yeah. backwards and forwards, and every time the BMW like won, we're like, this is so strange. And then so, that evening, we like discussed it, and we're like, what happened? Like how? Surely it's like, weight because he- it's the yeah weight, weight transfer is a little bit. But the the Audi should have the advantage because the weight's over the driven wheels. Whereas no, the BMW but not is- as soon as you start moving. Exactly. Yeah. Well, obviously there's weight transfer with acceleration, but when you're slowly creeping up a, a 15% incline on snow, oh, okay. it's not like, like you're, like you're yeah, all miles an hour. It's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're launching back. Obviously, still, there's some weight transfer still. with that. Yeah. But if there, so we went back the next day. We was like, can we please make some time to rerun that test? We yeah. went back the next day different conditions like it was still snowy obviously but the temperature had changed like the (laughs) track had been regraded because obviously we we grade it with a Pactor, and we ran it again and then the bmw won again so we went we're like oh come on let's do a a slightly like a 10 percent incline so it's less extreme surely the audi will win and then the bmw won again so like we're both like okay myth busted rear wheel drive is better obviously with appropriate tires um because if you've got no grip you've got no grip and on the road obviously front wheel drive is easier to manage but in this and in this test scenario, the did BMW you run, definitely had.
0: Did you try any of this? Is like a bit left field. Did you try any of the cars reversing? Like re- put them both. So rear wheel <laughs> drive reversing <laughs> we up a did hill that. See, I, I should have done drive. That would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I, we should have tried that. I didn't think of that. Maybe next time I'll, uh, yeah, I'll do yeah, that. Because yeah, yeah. so I've done the test like put a load of a load of weight in mm. the back of something, and that that genuinely helps as well. Okay. Uh, so I tried that with the truck. Uh, we put like 200 kilos in the back or 200 pound in the back of this tr- uh, pickup truck, a VW Amarok, and then ran it in rear-wheel drive. Uh, and it was across traction and handling. There was a significant. I thought during handling the extra weight because obviously you're not only are you accelerating that weight, you're slowing it down yeah. and you're turning it. I thought during handling there's no way there would be an improvement, but there was an improvement uh, with really the extra weight in as well. That's uh, Plus- yeah. I'll- I'll try reverse next time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Cause I've I take a um I have a backdated nine eleven SC. Um I took it to Sweden oh, with cool. some mates. Um mm-hmm. put it on some winter tyres. Continentals winter contact contacts? or something. Oh winter.
2: That's the Central European winter tyre. there'll um, be the T S eight fifty, sixty, seventies, sixties, seventies, the TS eight thirty something like, like that. that. Yeah. If um, it's a winter contact, that's, just, that's technically a central European tyre and not designed for that, that kind of... If you're in North Sweden, that's, that's not the optimised tyre for that condition.
0: So what is the optimised tyre? I can't remember what it was. So I just looked
2: up winter tyres. Yeah, you have... So that will be the tyre you'll buy in the UK because Nordic winter... you've got another category of tyres, which is Nordic winter tyres, soft compound okay. winter tyres, extreme winter tyres, well, studless friction winter tyres, whatever you want to yeah. call them. It's essentially a tyre that's more designed for snow and ice. So okay. for getting studded tyres, it's a much softer compound, much more siping, And the difference they make on, on like compacted snow and ice is, is quite significant. But you give up so much dry performance, they're just not appropriate for somewhere oh, like nice the UK stuff. that doesn't see much snow. Yeah, Interesting. But they're, they're, you, won't, you won't find anyone running a, a central European winter tyre up in the, the Nordics or the north of Sweden.
0: Yeah, the, that makes sense then. Because on, on snow, it was all right. It was okay. Yeah. As soon as you got anything compacted at all, it was mm, mm. not not great. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, the main thing I think was I just tried to find a tire in the size
2: in the UK. Yeah. I think that's where you probably yeah. had the problem. Um, and it's probably it quite an odd so size as well. Mm. Pro- probably quite. If it's an old nine eleven, it's probably a, a weird pairing of sizes anyway, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's odd. Um,
0: but that had so much grip. Full stop. Like, just surprised, like, immensely surprised versus someone having it for an M6. Like, everyone was on winter tyres. Some people had studded tyres. Some people had some crazy, scandy, like, 600 massive yeah. studs on their tyres. The WRC-style um, tyres, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, one guy had an RS6, and he had these stupid tyres. And I swear, and he was like, yeah, on these tyres, on ice, it's like driving on tarmac. <laughs> mm. you like... Like you just stop um but that, that was a really interesting experience and that i was shocked shocked not shocked how much grip moving forwards that 911 had because it's just all that i guess it's, it's just
2: yeah you've definitely got the, the weight, weight in the right place 9-11s and, and snow are a joy genuine i've not driven an older one like that but i'm sure it was a fun experience yeah um, it was wicked. was yeah you must have learned some things about Car dynamics as well, driving something like that on ice or snow and ice yeah. on those tires,
0: and reading the environment and going basically on an ice track. It was it was it was fine for about two laps until everyone had to, like pushed all the snow
2: off it, and then it was just sheet mm. ice, and that was yeah, it, it. was pretty much what impossible you need, in those conditions. You need to follow around the guy with the big studs because they 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 rough up the ice ah. so much it, you can essentially get an ice surface to grip almost like tarmac. Because uh, I did a test with Pirelli that, again, will come out this fall yeah. or this autumn. And we we did a, a road studded tire, sort of Pirelli I-02, which is a very, very good road tire, studded road tire, against the WRC. It was the WRC Sweden tire from 2021. Okay. Um, and that's obviously, it's like it's nearly 307 millimeters studs, completely yeah. illegal on the road. But on ice, like you can't, but like, it sounds so intimidating just driving on the <laughs> ice because it's like... <laughs> Um, but we did that, we did that test. And then obviously the right ice surface was completely ruined. And the next day I, I had some Central European winter tires on a Tesla model three performance. I was like, you know, Hmm. I'm just going to see what it's like on ice. And the ice was so rough. Um, I was doing almost the same lap time as this rally car on studded tires on this Tesla on, um, on Central European winter tires. But then, so I did like, I was five seconds off in the lap. It was only like a 35, 40 second lap. Yeah. But then the second you went slightly offline okay, onto yeah. the stuff that hadn't been ruined by the rally tires, yeah. you had, like, I just, I put this tester <laughs> into a snowbank so far. Yeah. So I was going so fast and then I had absolutely zero grip because yeah. I was just, I was like half a tire with off and I'm like, Shit. and you just, you're going straight <laughs> to the scene <laughs> of the accident. So yeah, it, it makes like ice testing is the most difficult testing in the world because you'll go like I was, I was testing up in Finland doing some ice testing or for a, a, a soft winter tire mm. um i'd spent three and a half hours ice testing it was an overcast day the temperature was nice and stable and then there was a break in the clouds for like half an hour and the the control tire went two seconds two seconds a lap slower so at that point you're like i've got to throw out the data so i've like I've wasted half a day now it was almost finished i was onto like nearly the last set of tires and the sun comes out and then it's not fair for everyone so you have to start again <laughs> yeah the next day so it's ice testing horrible which is why people ask like, why aren't you testing ice for this kind of tire? Like an all season tire. It's like, yeah. it's, it's it's too expensive and time consuming to do for a tire that very rarely sees ice. Yeah. And that sort of
0: situation. Like, yeah, no, it was, mm. I, I've done a, a bunch of not tons, but a reasonable amount of ice driving. I don't know, like yeah, 10 days or something like that now. Mm. And, and originally I was like, Oh, I want to do this in a real drive car. Cause it's fun. But like, the more I drove and the more cars I drove, if I was on a winter tyre, four-wheel drive, I much preferred because you've just got more options. You've got the option yeah. of pulling forwards even yeah. when you're like going yeah, off you, you, and you're, sideways. You're, sort of,
2: you're almost going in backwards and you've just got that, okay, I'm just yeah. going to plant the throttle and try and pull the front around and, yeah, and pull it together. Yeah, I agree. And I did a test with an Audi A4, it was an Ultra, versus a BMW mm-hmm. X-Drive. so it was a, it was the ultra quattro system which is the how it's like Audi's version of the Haldex so it's primarily yeah. instead of being a proper quattro system it's primarily front wheel drive and then switches to the rear when it's yeah. detected it needs it but when you're on such a low grip surface like snow or ice it's kind of spinning all four wheels most of the time anyway so yeah. it's not actually as as horrible in the wet and dry absolutely give me a, a proper quattro but anything yeah. that's driving four wheels what was I driving? I was driving a an X three, an X one, maybe Quattro. Yeah, uh, X one X drive, sorry. And even yeah. that was good fun, just because, like you say, you can you can start leaning on the throttle a lot more to control the car. And rear drive is yeah. as, as fun as it is. Uh, once you are sideways, you you just got to kind of like stay off the power a little yeah. bit until you can you can pull it together. Now, yeah, there's, yeah.
0: There's, Whereas, what did I drive? Someone brought a um, one of those little Audi A one Quattros. <laughs> Yeah, 'Cause that and, must
2: be that must be uh like a Haldex quattro as well. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So not like super larry, but you could like get the back end out. But the main thing is you were just like y- yoinking the handbrake. You yeah. had an actual handbrake on like so oh, many amazing. cars. And then once yeah. you're once you're set, like then it's just boom, off yeah. you go, let it work it out. It's so much fun. That that's I'd that ne-
2: sort of thing. I'd is, really is like hilarious. to drive uh, an all-wheel drive 911 on snow or ice. I've never done it, but I imagine feels
0: really rear-wheel drive. Okay. They kind of do anyway, but like yeah. that's when I think you really notice because I we had that to- that year. We've we've done this trip a few times, and we took an R8 one year, um, which was really fantastic. Yeah, and then we did. Uh, we took my old 911 the year before that. Then we had a Bentley Continental V8 convertible which was pretty hilarious. Um, Interesting, too much cool. weight. Yeah, But like, was still pretty fun to drive. When, when you've got not a lot of grip and you're trying to set the correct, and you want to do like, you know, slightly revert, uh, getting as much angle before the corner. But if you give it too much momentum and you're on just straight winter, it's like, you, you, <laughs> you've you got to judge that. But the, someone brought a GTS, uh, Gen 1 991 GTS, um, manual that he'd like, it lifted it. It's kind of been safari um, Very cool. That was on that was on a studded tire. Mm-hmm. And that was I thought going from the Bentley to that, the Bentley you could give it a lot of power a lot of the time and it would sort of work it out. Whereas the nine eleven was super rear happy. Even though it would start pulling, but like the the first reaction was like boom, I'm sideways.
2: Yeah. I guess uh, the weight balance was something. To do with that as well, because you've got the the and that, engine, yeah, the pendulum effect. I drove a Taycan in a Taycan Turbo S in the snow Ooh. recently. What was that like? Incredi- incredible! I'd been driving a Tesla Model Three Performance for a couple of days for a test, and there was Prelli had yeah. this uh, Taycan Turbo S. I was like, "Can I take it out?" And they're like, "Yeah, cool." Preli are a very cool company to work with. Um, and I just did a few laps in that, and it was it fit on snow. The only experience I have it is snow and ice but it, yeah. it, it felt edgy, like a, like it felt like a race car. Like it felt like a proper <laughs> developed car after driving that Tesla for so long. And don't get me wrong, a Tesla Model 3 performance is inc- it's an incredible, like uh, I'll get a lot of hate for saying it and I'm 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 a pure internal combustion person, I really am. But once you've driven a Model 3 performance and think about where Tesla have come from and where they are now in such a short amount of time, mm. it's an incredible bit of engineering. But getting into that Porsche, which is twice the price or three times the price, you could tell it's a really well-sorted car. All the little like rough bits around the edges of the Tesla's handling like in extreme situations on snow are just gone in the Porsche. Um, Okay, yeah. yeah, Really impressive car.
0: They do, like I drove a uh, turbo, Panamera Turbo SE Hybrid uh, at Millbrook back-to-back with a Taycan Turbo S and genuinely sort of ignoring the, the noise or whatever, the the Taycan just feels so much more like solid and agile, and everything like all the weight they're is at the bottom. So and fast, massively noticed. Yeah, um, they're just so and then fast. especially they are. They all those things are crazy fast. Yeah. But I feel like the hybrid, like your hybrid Panamera, your Turbo SE hybrid, I don't think they. I would love to drive one of those back-to-back with the Turbo S non-hybrid mm. um, to see what it's like because they're so much heavier and it's all like at the front. They, they do, they're big heavy cars anyway, but that specifically, those two combinations versus Taycan, was just, I got out of the Taycan and was like, ah, I, just, I just couldn't have a
2: Panamera now. This
0: Taycan yeah, is a much
2: better car. And you think if anyone was going to get it right, it would be Porsche as well. So then you've got like the Cayenne, like the e-hybrid Cayennes coming out. How heavy are they? They must like be similar to the Death Star or a Moon or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think hybrids have their place.
0: It's an interesting one. Like I think it sort of has its place and it works, but it seems like it feels like a real compromise. Like you lose a lot of weight and if you're driving on the hybrid system, you're not driving a performance car. You're driving a slow sedan and then it's not a very good electric vehicle at that point yeah
2: it's not very good Whereas in either EV, situation yeah yeah but you do get the advantage of for your day-to-day you can drive on electricity and then if you need to do a long journey like if you if you can only have one car um or you can only afford one car there is a, a place for a hybrid if you do need that extended range yes that you, it is more difficult with an electric vehicle at currently
0: yeah totally but then, if you're driving the Turbo SE hybrid,
2: you you're, you're, yeah. it, it,
0: it's, it's just sure. a tax like situation. Yeah, I was going to say, point. surely that that that's the only reason.
2: That, yeah, they've produced that to lower the average emissions or something along those lines. They can't actually expect yeah. anyone to buy that. People buy it, S- but they,
0: it was for the benefit in kind. Like you know, right, so if you okay, run it for yeah. a business, it was much cheaper to get a Turbo right. SE hybrid than it was a okay, yeah. Panamera 4s. Uh, so there we go. That's why we see everyone in Thai cans now. Because it's yeah. much, much cheaper. Yeah. Which makes sense. Studded studded tires. I don't I, mm-hmm. I don't want to keep it for too much longer, but studded tyres versus non-studded tyres, it's it's I would say it's a slightly irrelevant topic being in the UK. But Absolutely. In a in a sort of winter environment, do many people run studded tyres that
2: aren't Sweden, Norway? Mm, Sweden, Norway, Russia. And then some parts of Canada uh, and maybe some parts of New Zealand. uh, But generally, like in in the south of Sweden, uh, I believe you can't drive in Stockholm on studded tires, which is why this soft compound friction tire exists. Because studded tires, Mm. they genuinely do mess up the road surface. Uh, They do offer significant improvement in grip uh, over a friction tire on smooth ice. But now, like on snow, you're probably not seeing any benefit on a studded tire compared to yeah. the equivalent, like Nordic friction tire. Um, and on rough ice, you can have quite similar performance between the two now. So studs, okay. So the, the places you find smooth ice are the places you really need studded tires in those kind of uh, countries. Because it's at junctions where a lot of people stop and accelerate. Yeah. and They just kind of, they polish the ice over over time so that's where a studded tyre and that's why those those regions use studded tyres but i'm not even i don't know if they're illegal in the uk but they're certainly not appropriate uh, and in a lot of central europe they're illegal to use
0: yeah i think um, I, we were looking at it when we were planning on driving from london to sweden like what you can run and you can't there's only certain places you can run yeah. a studded tyre i think you can run them in like northern germany but I don't think you could drive from the UK to, let's say, Stockholm on a studded tyre. No, legally. probably not. And you wouldn't get into um,
2: Stockholm, I don't think, on a studded tyre anyway. You so can. I think,
0: you, 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 I think you're not allowed, but I've seen a lot of studded tyres. Um, <laughs> okay, right. But they are awful. One for the road. Um, we had it where we were filming a car next to us and he slammed on the brakes and you just see all the sparks just like, like, yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, that. that mm, um, yeah. But yeah, and they're definitely dicey. Like on a normal bit of tarmac on studs, like mm, that's not such well, a good situation.
2: In theory, they should offer a similar performance to a, a Nordic friction tire, which we talked about earlier. But a Nordic friction yeah. tire in the dry is absolutely dicey compared to like a okay. a Central European winter tire or an all season tire or weather yeah. tire. So yeah, those, it's just the, the the soft compound and the siping that really. Although actually, studded tires uh, sometimes have a slightly harder compound than the studless. Uh, versions just because mm. obviously they've got a hold in the stud. And Continental invented a rubberized stud which was cuz noise is one of the other big problems. They're no, they're okay, super yeah. noisy things. And Conti invented a, a rubberized stud um, that did really well in testing, but when it went to market they had problems with studs uh evacuating, sort of studs falling out uh during yeah. the use. So they've I think they've withdrawn that, but there is there's definitely some improvements that could that could could be coming in the near future. Um, to help improve stud performance. But like so, we've said, the friction winter tyres are getting so good now. Uh, yeah. th- there's less and less reason to, to get a stud.
0: So if I was going to drive from London to mm-hmm. northern Sweden, something like that, fire somewhere like Stockholm or whatever, <laughs> in a car with a plan on doing a lot of wintry driving up there and a little bit of Ice Lake stuff, what's the move?
2: Um, uh, I mean, the ultimate move would be uh, summer tires. for in the UK, change to all seasons as you get somewhere in Germany. Change to winters <laughs> as you get to Sweden. Change to Nordics as you get up top, and then studs for the ice. Uh, I would. Do you have the ability to change tires? I would probably do what you did before, and that's use a, a central European winter tire for the majority of the journey, yeah. and then switch to a studded tire if you have the ability up when you're you're near the ice because. If yeah, you're going yeah. to be doing some ice driving, like a, a studded tire is more fun and it does offer better performance. So that would be my yeah. go-to. Uh, but if you yeah. haven't got the ability to change uh, tires, I would try and import a set of Nordic winter tires. Uh, and just run through. them and deal yeah, with it. Run them. Yeah. it just, yeah, just be a bit careful in the in the dry and wet. Auto wetlands. bonds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the compound's so soft, a lot of the, the studless tires are you won't get much more than the H rated tire. So you can't do more than like a hundred miles an hour on them anyway. Oh, they're okay. so soft. They yeah. just, they'll heat out and die. So yeah, you've got to be extra careful on the autobahns. Yeah. I was amazed at anyway. how fast you get used. Like
0: we, we, when we drove the first time, it was like Stockholm up and you have the, we were started on just wet roads. Then we had the half, half that's, the first time you experience that, that is properly crap. Like yeah. chunks of like half the road's
2: ice and half tarmac. Super yeah. sketchy. Because <laughs> you've got to and stare you at get... your line so intense. Yeah. You've just got to be like, because I know if I go offline at this speed, yeah. I'm in the snow. And like you've yeah. got to real focus or <laughs> yeah. drive so slowly. Yeah, yeah.
0: But then once you get onto snow and snow and ice, how quickly are you acclimatize to just like, yeah, yeah, 60 miles an hour down this country road. Seems all right. The only problem, like you said, is T-junctions and things like that yeah. slowing down. But it's it's crazy how quickly you can
2: adapt to just driving normal speeds. You understand why there's so many good Swedish and Finnish rally drivers. Because yeah. like, you'll be thinking what you're flying down this country lane on compacted snow and ice. and some old lady in a Coursera will come right up behind yeah. you and sit on your rear bumper. You're like, oh, so I'm not going as quickly as I thought. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, what yeah, people yeah. who have grown up in that environment can just do like naturally, uh, and they do
0: some. Future. You see people do like all the like rally drivers that are around there and whatever. Watching them drive, and it's it's always it's like watching them drive home from the track. Everyone drives like an absolute fruit loop around there, just like sending it backwards into corners, like tuck, tucking the nose into the snowbank. I'm like, mate, what's going on? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think like people getting a bit too excited or showing off in big groups. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an element of that. Yeah, but,
0: um, some serious, some serious skills. Even in the like, the fifteen-year-olds we met, like I think someone had an Audi Quattro that was it was on like, possibly even on summer tires, and we were up in a, a like a ski resort, and they had a road that went up to it, and he was just like fully, fully committed the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> bad
2: do, do cars ever get damaged on these trips? So it sounds like a recipe yes. for for some... Yes. For, and it snows generally soft, but it, if you're going far though. enough, you generally hit hard stuff, especially that if the is, bad, That's though.
0: one of the conundrums of running... If you start to run studs and more grip, you, you go start to go further. faster. Yeah. yeah. And then you go off bigger. Um, yeah. Lots of Porsche... If you've got a GT Porsche product the front splitter, when it goes into snow, like rips Whoa. itself apart because it's like yeah. angled down. Um, if you had an Audi R8, I don't know, and you went into some snow, it's actually kind of angled up. Yeah. And it doesn't have a significant lip. So it just goes up rather sense. than down. Um, but yeah, like we did, we haven't damaged any of the cars that we I personally and the guys I was with were driving. I say the guys I was with, I mean literally in my car. Um, but... Other people, loads of front bumpers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just getting one. like kind of messed up. But it's what happens when you get off, go off the ice in like, at like eighty miles an hour yeah. into quite solid stuff. What do you expect?
2: It, also, if you've if you've been unlucky with the weather, I was testing at the start of the year in Finland again, uh, doing ice handling, and it's the ice handling truck mm. knock in is. It's a sort of almost a kidney bean shaped ice handling, but then they have a a snowbank to mark the inside of the course, which is only maybe two foot high. And then they have a little bit more ice that they clear, but they don't like prepare that you can drive on. So if you make an error and go off to the inside, you'd normally like punch through this small snowbank and then you recover and come back. But it'd been some like unusually hot weather, and no snowfall, so there's, all this snowbank had, like, melted, refroze, melted, refroze over the course of, like, a week. Yeah. And I made a small mistake. I was like, oh, shit, I'm understeering off. So I'm like, instead of trying to, like, graze the bank, I'm just going to go straight through it, straightened up. And it was solid ice, so I just jumped over this bank. And unfortunately, <laughs> I like it's the first test car I think I've, I've damaged testing. I just cracked the bumper where it, uh, like, hit, like sort mm. of buckled on this solid ice and then lifted the car up and over. And a lot of the cars we use are rental cars as well, so... You have to go back to Europe car and explain why there's a, a cracked bumper. <laughs> uh, to be fair, they used. Yeah, It just that, went off the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what went, went off no, the road. You, they, they, especially in places like evelo where there's a lot of testing, uh, all the yeah. car hire companies know that they're going to test us because you rent them through, like one of the yeah. tire companies. So it's just yeah, a fun world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never buy an I was going to never buy an X test car on. or never an X rental car from. From anywhere that's close to a test track. Like, yeah. 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 In Spain, there's a big test facility in Idiada in Spain and the nearest airport. Like, if you buy, if you see a a rental golf there, you 100% it's been, it's been around Idiada like a thousand times. Like, the thing's just going to feel tired and loose. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny, you see these pictures, I think, people see of like snow testing or everyone's going driving various cars and whatever, and these big snow banks, and they're like, oh, it looks so soft. Yeah. And then like you say, it gets wet, freezes, and you're like, no, it's literally like a concrete block
2: right. around this track that people are driving. Um, but I've, I've, again, I've heard, of bills. I've heard stories of like cars literally punching like a Looney Tunes style like whole snows like in a, like a particularly tall snowbank would have gone in so hard. They've like gone in so fast. They've come out the other side. The car's been fine. So it is, it is like, <laughs> I, I went in probably two car lengths with that Tesla uh, model three performance. I'll, I'll end up posting yeah. pictures on Instagram this winter, but I went in far and the car was at, not, not a mark on it. But then sometimes you go. I'm in amazed
0: like, at yeah how much they can survive. And then mm-hmm. sometimes.
2: Yeah. You're just unlucky and you, you you've ruined something uh, with a very small error, but it's testing like accidents. And if you're, if you're sliding around on snow on the limit for days at a time, like accidents happen and it's just, it's going to pass and parcel of testing.
0: Yeah. But it's fun. It's fun in the, in the middle. Um, Right. I normally wrap this up with five questions. Okay. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey?
2: Um, I've done a few really good road trips around America. And like one of my first Mm. ever, like long road trips was I had some friends in Vegas. uh, So I flew into LA, Mm -hmm. picked up a Chevy Tahoe. And then we, I drove this Tahoe on my own to Vegas, picked up my friends we did a weekend in Vegas and then drove up to Yosemite across to San Fran and then down route one to LA. And that is, that's, it is a bit of a cliche, but it's, it was just like, like the views, the driving in the U S like driving is just so easy in America uh but that that's one that certainly sticks in the mind just because it was it was early Mm. on in like i was younger i wasn't so like jaded by doing it for a living (laughs) um and (laughs) it was just a really like we had lots of fun with our friends like every everywhere we stopped was an adventure so yeah that's 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 probably the most those are the best trips Mm. bunch of mates yeah a car yeah the u.s adventure and i live here now so i'm a little bit biased but the u.s is probably the best place in the world to road trip because the roads are like the scenery around a lot of the States is so mm. beautiful. And the roads are generally super quiet. So you can jump on a, an interstate stick your cruise control on and then not have to think about it for three, four hours. Um, nice. I've done a, I've done a similar road trip around Colorado. We basically did a loop of the state. Uh, and that was, it's just like everywhere you look is like a, a poster card of something beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if anyone's ever thinking of road tripping, like get into the U S like there's, especially the west coast there's some stunning that's it places. coasts coasts, yeah sort of. coast and Don't imbalance from coast to coast yeah oh yeah coast to coast would be that's a that's a no. d- gumball isn't it didn't alex yeah
0: i've 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 done d- i did it one year um as a photographer we did coast to coast and like there's just so much in the middle that you're just like yeah it's just
2: boring the 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 mid-east states yeah wow how long yeah. did that take you uh a week So you did it pretty quick then?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was was too quick. It was like New York up to Canada and then back down and across and Indy 500 and stuff like that on the way. Wow. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, fair play. No, thanks. I wouldn't do it again. Wouldn't choose to do it again. I'll pick a coast and and mooch up and down, I think. Um, If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and then you have on the side something that costs £500, what would they be? So one car, unlimited value. We already established that Golf
2: is peak car, so it would be a Golf. I don't know. um, uh, Drive one car. Boring answer, GT3 probably, 911 GT3. Um, Which one? uh, I've not driven the 992, so I'm going to say 992. Um, Okay. PDK? I don't know. Probably manual because it's the the one car you drive a lot of. But I do think the PDK mm. is a better car. You're faster in the PDK. Um, it's not too extreme. It's not as extreme as an RS. Like a four point zero nine nine seven RS would be one of my dream cars as well. But uh, I think for everyday life that might be a bit much. But a GT three, yeah, be beautiful. And then a, a five. What can you get for five hundred pound now? I'm a little bit out of the. I loop. have no idea. Honestly, no idea. <laughs> no i don't Everything's know expensive I'd, I'd, I'd find something something practical and big like alex kirsten is very good at finding like a a BMW. He'd smash this question a 330d touring like an e46 330d yeah. touring he'd find one for 500 quid so i'll take that a bit of practicality
0: yeah i think when i asked him this question both times he's like i don't need the other car just give yeah, me 500 pounds i'll find yeah. my favorite car
2: just give me a 330d touring and he's he's happy yeah
0: yeah um what do you think is the most undervalued car at the
2: moment? What should be worth more that 's so difficult because everything 's gone so crazy that like everything's everything 's expensive now um if you 'd asked me sort of ten years ago i 'd have said an l f a or creo g t because they were okay. trading yeah. hands for like one fifty or something um but now obviously yeah. they're they're they 're definitely not um yeah i I've just picked up a Porsche cayenne in the u s and they are oh, nice incredibly cheap Pair I paid $20,000 so equivalent of about 16,000 pounds for yeah. a, it's a 958 so the not the original generation the the second generation Cayenne it's a Cayenne yeah. so it's a 4.8 V8 uh, it's eighty four thousand miles, twenty eleven, fully spec. So I think that 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 kind of vehicle for here for the US is quite undervalued at the moment. And then it, I, I bought mm. it to turn it into like an overland. I'm going to jack it up, put massive wheels on it, oh, put like a cool. rack on it, yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a, an American freedom overland project. But comp- considering I bought that for twenty thousand dollars, and like a Toyota 4Runner in similar mileage is going to be like forty thousand dollars. It's like, mm, yeah, that's that's a pretty undervalued car at the moment, but in the UK yeah. I've, and- I've lost track of what's what because everything seems expensive was that on um, normal suspension rather than air no it's on air your car uh, yeah I got it on air uh, on purpose actually because then you can you can play with it a little bit more um, so okay. you can you can lift the cars on air now there's a company called Eurowise performance who make lift kits for for both spring oh. and air air right. although it has got a leaking airbag which is annoying so if I leave it parked overnight <laughs> on a higher than like the low setting I come out and it's like it's like it's taking a wheel or something nice. it's cocked its leg so that needs to be fixed but it was a it was a project car so I knew it had some issues yeah,
0: yeah. that's cool I, I was chatting to someone else about that, those today of like of that sort of early Cayenne like relatively they're relatively cheap and like, you look UK, at them like yeah. it's a good car it's a lot like, of this, car- this is, this is a good car
2: yeah, if you get the v 8s I mean, from what I understand, if you get the V8, generally the engines are pretty reliable. There's some gearbox okay. issues or transfer case issues with some of the generations, but I think you could in the UK you could probably pick up a, a 2008 Cayenne for like five six thousand pounds, and that's a lot of car for your money. Amelia uh, I yeah. at the moment with fuel prices, it's probably not the best car to be buying because they're so expensive. But yeah, they're in very Porsche good value. have
0: spent more money on the tyres testing. <laughs> than, yeah, than like some people spend on their car, yeah, like their exactly, car. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they're they're very well engineered. And I, I drove a, a new Cayenne recently, or the uh, the one that's about to be facelifted. Uh, yeah, in Sweden, and beautiful pieces of kit. I and mean, it's a Porsche. So I don't know why I'm saying this because it's it's just obvious. It's a good Obviously. car. Yeah. <laughs> I Hate myself yeah, for but saying that.
0: Yeah. Why? Right, most interesting car to you at the moment.
2: What, qualify gonna, that question. Up? Uh like what what's a dream car or what's uh, like the eh. most interesting new car coming?
0: Forefront of your mind, like like oh I've been looking at
2: i I'm always oh, no. looking at Carrera GTs and LFAs, does that count? Okay. Like anytime anyone yeah. says yeah. like what's 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 the car, I'm like Carrera GT or LFA. Just I've got a, a thing for yeah. V tens. Um but I think I okay. would say they're quite different, aren't they,
0: those two cars, really? They're similar. Yeah, driven either. Like same, same, but different. Yeah. yeah I've not sure. driven either, either. Um, yeah. But like kind of a different ethos. One's more mm. of like a GT, I would say, the LFA, more, yeah. more GT. Yeah, If Japanese. it was between the
2: two, it'd be the Carrera GT for sure. But they both make that uh, a V10 noise and they're both incredible yes. pieces of engineering. But like anything that's sort of semi-race car um, is firmly at the front of my mind. Hmm.
0: They, Crow GT, it's one of those cars. I need to drive one. I need to get, if you've got one, and I know people that have got one. Or get a, get more than of one. Tom. I don't know. She doesn't know. One. Let me, let me. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ain't going to let me drive, no, it, he gonna yeah. me drive it. True, yeah.
2: <laughs> they're, sort of, they're so valuable. That's probably well. on original tyres. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I did speak to him actually doing a video with it because to, to, Michelin uh, put, re-homologated a set of tires uh for okay. the Carrera gt i think it was a set of cup twos um that really improved the dynamics of the car we did we spoke mm. briefly about doing something with that but it never came out of it and then i think he's realized it's so valuable now but i would never just drive going. a Carrera <laughs> gt round track like i'd be terrified yeah not just because of the value but if you if you write off a Carrera gt that's a that's one of very few cars that's never coming back like you, you, I just feel bad for the scene. Like you've written. Is off, it write-offable of, now? I mean, if, <laughs> with the current values, <laughs> maybe not write-offable. If you crash it hard enough, I mean, if you try hard yeah. enough, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. would drive someone's Carrera GT around the track if they let me. Okay, I'd give it a go.
2: You're a braver man. I would than be I. careful and sensible. Yeah. yeah,
0: but like you know, I could drive it at 30 miles an hour.
2: True. True. Yeah.
0: So you'd start with that. You'd be like, I'll drive it a 30 fast now. But I wouldn't. The
2: thing I know myself, it's like one of the reasons I've never really pushed myself to go lap the (laughs) Nürburgring because you'd be like, oh, be sensible, it's fine. And then three corners in, you're flat out sideways and then five corners in, you're on your roof. Yeah, Yeah. I could see that happening. I've
0: never never driven the Nürburgring and that is part, there is part of that because I also know I've done a lot of like sim laps, and that's yeah. not the same thing. No, but it gives, you the, it
2: gives you the it gives you the I know what corners next. I know. What, yeah, it definitely yeah. gives you the that's confidence flat. To, yeah, it's definitely flat in that made up car in Gran Turismo.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. That we're hoping the
2: modelling is correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and the tire Michelin, uh, the tire uh, they did some tire modelling with uh, Sony for Gran Turismo Seven, which is quite interesting. Mm. They're the official tire supplier. I don't know how deep it went but um it's a bit so of trivia i've so I've been playing it and I've noticed
0: and I, I I probably should go back and try some other some of the early ones to notice the difference but I feel like there is now a significant difference and it might have been only the ones between the sort of sporty road tires and the slick tires like that the way they handle is much more representative of what a slick and how, awesome. let's say, it starts to slide. If you do the race, the like race, put a set of the slicky tires on any road car, they get significantly more edgy, like significantly good. more.
2: Good, which is good. Yeah, that means uh, um, maybe the Michelin influence has helped along the way. I've yeah. had no like the official only... data about the the partnership. I just know there is yeah, a partnership yeah, yeah. now.
0: The only thing which I was disappointed at, and I'm eternally disappointed by sim racing games is they they model the wet Mm -hmm. and they've started modeling like changeable wet now. But wet sim driving is not the same as wet track because they don't model uh, the smooth surface and tyre tread when that gets wet. So the the racing line line. is not slippy.
2: But is it, I'm not... I'm not massive into sim racing something I keep meaning to pick up but is, is wouldn't your counter argument be that Gran Turismo is actually more an arcade sim and like R factor and iRacing they do model uh,
0: none, none of the sims model really. a
2: wet a, a
0: wet line a greasy they wet line they all just lower the they just lower the grip
2: interesting
0: so you would always race the racing line in a sim which if yeah, you that's... do that in real life
2: you are so far off the track it's not even yeah. funny yeah <laughs> Yeah, you need the, the sort of the carting wet line where you're just like you're chopping over. Yeah, uh, you're, yeah exactly. As far away from the racing line as you can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. It's incredible the difference it can make as well.
0: Yeah, mm. and I think that would be. I want to be able to practice that in a game. Yeah. And then bring it, and then just like bring that back to real life. Whereas, so what, like, you can only what's your sim in real life. setup?
2: I assume you have a decent sim setup then.
0: Mine's it's evolved a lot in the last two years. So it's mm-hmm. gone from just, uh, um, I can't remember what wheel I had, I, a wheel and pedals with the PlayStation. Uh, now I've got a PC and I've got a Fanatic uh, DD Pro, their new nice. sort of like low-end yeah. direct drive wheel. Yeah, the um, cube thing. With like a, a, a fancy set wheel, yeah. And then uh, their V3 pedals and a big um, nice, yeah. wrap around. I've got one wrap around sort of screen.
2: Oh, is quite, it one of the
0: samsung's wide. 49 inch ultra um, mine is a is a it's like a dell alien one um but and then I've, I've got a handbrake but I'm trying to work out how to mount that at the moment and I've got a awesome you know a seat and a rig and and, and nothing moves It's it it, it rapidly escalated but it's, it's escalated over like seven years um of just slowly chipping away and to be honest the PC games, like Assetto Corsa, on that setup is so much better than the, even the console version with the same stuff. Yeah, um, just the feel. Even now playing Gran Turismo Seven, I have to run a slightly different. Um, the actual wheel I have to run is different because it has to be PlayStation compatible.
2: Okay, but yeah, of course.
0: It feels like it feels like an arcade. It's there's a lot of good stuff in it, but the graphics aren't as good, and it feels like a little bit more there's certain arcadey stuff in it like there's not the fine texture that you get yeah. in the other games but it's a yeah, lot I, of fun it's, I, it's it's too much fun
2: i built myself a a big editing i called it an editing rig so it was a work expense but mm. it was a like a rtx 3090 um and it's, yeah. it's shipping over from the uk now so when that arrives i'll be getting a i, I sold my it was too expensive to ship like the the sim seat and everything I was using there. But yeah. once it arrives here, I plan on rebuilding it and maybe I'll see you on some sim racing sometime. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I'm I'm on like all the games. Um, <laughs> which is the best though. So I like dicking around in a Corsa mm-hmm.
2: and
0: like loading up various like car mods. So like a GT3 RS MR or something like that. Um, and then messing around. I don't really, I did try some iRacing and I quite like it. But I don't like how if you go to like the faster stuff. A car that doesn't have ABS doesn't have ABS in iRacing. And that is really difficult
2: to drive. That's hard on a sim. You don't have the yaw. Yeah, you don't have core. The, the the momentum changes the tire yeah. locks. Yeah, that's that's tough.
0: Yeah, you literally have none of that stuff. So that that massively puts me off iRacing. Um and at the moment I'm just playing Grand Tourism with seven, modifying cars and putting wide body kits on them and stuff like that
2: yeah a lot of my friends are on GT so I just I can't find a PS5 in the US at the moment yeah Yeah, they're just non-existent still which is insane
0: they'll get there they'll get there I eventually at the end of last year because I'd said I'm not buying one for more than retail I'm not doing it I'm not doing it and then I ended up buying
2: a like a package it came with like a game and some other stuff and I was like okay whatever Mm. I mean I I could go buy a PS5 of Amazon today but it'd be a thousand dollars and a retail on it's three nine nine. So there's just no. Yeah. I'm not that desperate. No, yeah. exactly. And it will we'll
0: get there. Like it will get to the point. Well, will we? China's just, them just them.
2: being hit with COVID again. So we're gonna have. Yeah. So sort of, so a yeah. thousand might seem cheap. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, but buy them in bulk for a thousand, you'll probably make a lot of money.
0: Yeah. People did. That's why they are a thousand. Annoyingly. Yes. Um, final
2: question. Okay. Five car
0: garage. Unlimited value.
2: Carrera GT, <laughs> shock. Um, one, of, one of, yeah. I would probably stick an F50 in there. Nice. An F50 or an Enzo, I'm not entirely sure. Probably the F50, just because it's, again, the, the F50 is what, essentially a Formula One engine bolted to a chassis. And it's like, yep. that That just sounds great to me. Pretty um, cool, yep. What would the family car be? Probably a modern Cayman or something. Oh, sorry, Cayenne. Um, yep. Or an RS6 or something ridiculous like that. There would have to be a BMW M car mm-hmm. in. Um, and then there would Which have one? to be a... Uh, I would... T- is the latest, maybe the previous generation M4 CS. Um, okay. So I thought that was very, very good. Or an not E46 uh, CSL. Mm-hmm. Again, nice. just for noise. Did you do a
0: manual conversion?
2: No, not on a CSL. The manual is. I had I've had a few E46 M3s, and the manual is the better. But you can't chop up a CSL. Like surely not. That's yeah. like sacrilege.
0: Uh, and then there would, have, <laughs> there would have to
2: be some sort of 911 in there. Sadly, G- yeah. GT, the the 992 GT3 RS, whatever that is, I'll take it. Yeah. Or a 4.0 uh, 997. Mm. Yeah, one of those two. That's a good. I think that's a good bunch. Yeah. Maybe that's an tricky. RS6 over the SUV. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. Fair enough. A bit Audi cool. Audi wagons are just so cool. Like RS fours and RS sixes, they, they just look cool. Like the Audi flared the arches and fill the wheel, fill the wheel wells better than almost anyone. Like how is it yeah. disappointing? You like you buy your F eight Tributo and you get it, and you've ordered the twenty inch wheels or whatever it is, and then you get the car and they're like sat sort of half a foot in, yep. from the it's like why? Why it just looks yeah, so and there's like bad? There's like a fist gap. I know. Above like the why? Wheel. Like, why are you doing this? Like, and they'll say,
0: yeah, but it's like 0.1 of a second fast around
2: Fiorano because of the air, whatever, like blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like, yeah,
0: but it doesn't look as good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, like, no one else is testing around Fiorano, so it like it's a useless metric for us. It's not like you're getting competitive yeah. testing there. So, yeah, just just make it look good. Just fill the arches. Yeah. Like, lower it, widen yeah. it a little
0: bit. They... BMWs they put this weird lip on them on their what was it M2 competition had it the uh, little plastic black lip know, the little
2: plastic black lip not sure what's that about don't know weird I've, looking thing I was wondering if it's because there isn't there any EU legislation that says you're not any part of the wheel not allowed to protrude past the outermost part of the bodywork so you can't have that's probably what it is but I'm just wondering if it's to do with that or whether it's an airflow thing or whether it's a paint protection thing. or like, I, don't know. I think it's to do with that regulation of the
0: okay. wheel tyre. And therefore, if they want to run the offset and whatever that they yeah. want to run, they have to put this tiny little lip on it. And I think you can just take it off.
2: I think you can oh, like, really? pull it off. That's nice. I mean, it's um, then you see the stance boys with their... Because it's the tyre, isn't it? That's how the stance boys get away with it legally because it's only... Because they stretch the tire so bad, I think it's only the wheel that's past the body work. The tire is technically inside the body work, so it's okay is allowable. I I might be wrong on that. I don't. I'm not a big stance person, but I think that's the kind of workaround they go for. Which is do they
0: pass well. MOTs in those things? I think is that, so. Is that
2: I, because they of how do like, well, it, yeah, because I had the legislation's worded. I think it's a bit of a, a loophole.
0: Um, <laughs> turn up on you know bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> whatever floats your boat I mean it's people who are enthusiastic yeah, about cars so like I'm not saying anything negative about it I think, like, they, like I enjoying... think they look cool stationary yeah. to
0: an extent like I, they can get a bit ridiculous but yeah. I remember being in a petrol station and someone with an S3 drove in and then it he parked up and it went <laughs> and like knocked down I was like you know what and it wasn't it wasn't like ridiculous or yeah. anything I was like oh, that's, kind of, that's kind of cool yeah yeah
2: not practical I wouldn't do it kind of cool but yeah each of their own. Yeah, I've got nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. against it. I think mean, if you're enjoying cars... You're going the other way. Yeah. You're going lifted. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm jacking up. Uh, I actually... can. I, I I want to remove one car for a BMW 507. Okay. I don't know if you know BMW the 507. 507. So it's from the 60s. That? It's a two-seater convertible sporty looking car, but it's it's the most beautiful BMW ever made and oh, one wow. of the most beautiful cars ever made and i just think they're so cool. Like it's nothing you'd expect from BMW. And i think oh, i think oh, i've got an e24 635csi uh, so i love my old BMWs. Uh, mm. that that 507 is yeah BMW made that. What happened? How have you got a 2 series active tourer from that company? Like why? Yeah. Fair enough. Right. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Sorry it's taken me so long to for chat. To, to get on this it's obviously moving countries and then being backwards and forwards to europe yeah, traveling testing right. has, has been tricky but uh, thank you very much for having me on Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well